This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. The Men in Black return, crying comes to baseball, and the fourth Spider-Man is amazing. This week on 302010... Hello everyone and welcome to 302010, the internet's and leading pop culture time machine. I'll just say that instead of the Laser Time Network's leading pop culture time machine. Taking you on a journey through pop culture media and mild bit of news just to help avoid thinking about the Handmaiden's Tale arg we're all slowly living through. Let's look back at the world 30, 20, and 10 years ago from this week. See the fun things we were doing back then, shall we? Think about something else. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista, who is, who is with me. Huh, funny you should mention it. I voted 6-3 to three to say, fuck the Supreme Court of the United <laughs> States of America. I find you just... I've decided six of them don't deserve rights anymore, yeah. and uh, they should just pack it up and move to prison, I suppose. Yeah. What about the rights of face huggers? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls, and there's no crying in podcasting, Diana. Yeah. No crying in podcasting. <laughs> I, like, I, I, I will cry. You can't fucking stop. Diana's never cried on a podcast. It's only like a few of us have, including myself. Yeah, you have to go to patreon.com slash laser time to hear those where men cry on podcasts over the, the deaths of people of celebrities they love uh this show is also brought to you by, by patreon.com slash laser time we just put a, a we got a recording of a big celebration of et coming coming your way and then we uh, we just got in the can the thing the th- a classic corner 80s in-depth version of the thing one of my favorite just my favorite movies of the entire 80s and just unsung so we sing about it for an hour Five bucks, it's yours, along with hundreds of movie commentaries, extra podcasts, extra content, more to come. Love you. Patreon.com slash laser time. 302010, let's get started, Wait, baby. Do you do you literally sing about the thing? Because I'm I'm not on that podcast. I know. You Diana was supposed to be. And... <laughs> I was supposed to be, and then I was too buried with work, mm-hmm. and so I bowed out like literally at the last minute. And then ten minutes into re- you guys recording, I realized, oh, I should show up anyway and act a little sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, you should have done that. Uh, oh, that would have been awesome. Anna McCready. Be like, what do you mean I said I wouldn't be here? I'm here. I was here the whole time. Fine. What are you talking about? You're being paranoid. In fact, guys, why don't we all podcast together in person? Everybody (laughs) everybody just reach for my stomach. Just just do it. Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, the thing is great. And again, just wonderful to talk about. And we'll hopefully be doing more of those in addition to Laser Time's celebration of the summer of 82. The finest, the movie's finest hour summer of 82 anyway let's move on to the content show 30 2010 look at the world 30 and 20 10 years ago from where we're recording in 2002 that means 1992 2002 and 2012 and we'll be talking about this week which is july 1st to the 7th in all three of those decades let's begin as happy we go. independence day i yes. don't have independence anymore yeah well yeah and it looks like uh you know teachers and well, never mind <laughs> never mind some the supreme court yeah. i don't know teachers can't be trusted to you know teach <sighs> about american history but they can be trusted with your child's salvation in prayer yes 
and 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 they'll also they'll also be armed. This is a great country. Canada, are you hiring? You hiring podcasters, Canada? Norway, looking at you. <laughs> 1992, July 1st to the 7th. A little bit of news to bring you in. This is how young the Fox Network still is. It begins broadcasting on Wednesday nights. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fox didn't come to birth fully a full station. It, like, struggled along for a couple of years. And, yeah, on Wednesday's night, there was just no Fox. You didn't have Fox. I guess you got, like... You you did, but, like, we have to explain this sometimes for foreign listeners and younger listeners, but, like, you know, when I was a little kid, ABC, CBS, NBC, and then there were a bunch of little television stations that just... There was one station that re-ran Fat Albert 24 hours. That's what they played. (laughs) And, and, And then Fox came in and bought these smaller networks to make a giant NBC, ABC network but didn't have the programming, daily programming like NBC would. Because, you know, during the day, these networks fill their content with whatever they want, but primetime NBC is like, no, you're playing Friends. You're playing ER. And I think it... So what happens is that, like, basically, if you were if you were a Fox fan, you were watching something different anywhere, depending on where you were in the country, up until this moment. You could have been watching a MASH rerun. A, <laughs> you could, yes, you, you could have been watching uh, Troop Beverly Hills. This is what I remember about the Fox Network. Weird movies would play in primetime, but now they finally add Wednesday night programming. And I believe their Wednesday night lineup has been just a masterpiece ever since. I'm sure I, I'm sure it's mostly Gordon Ramsay doing yelling at people. And I this this I just wanted to add because this has been going on throughout. This was this single came out 6 months ago, but the controversy is still ongoing and talked about everywhere, including by Oliver North, famed ethical man and former National Security <laughs> Council aide. He calls on the governors in all 50 states to bring criminal proceedings against Time Warner Inc for the dis- distribution of Ice T's cop killer. And I, I, I bring this up just I love saying that we did a laser time about banned films and our government, the American government, has never banned a film. Never. We have a bunch of self-imposed restrictions on games and movies via the MPAA rating systems. AMC won't carry an X rated movie, that kind of thing. Music is the closest America has gotten to the government banning art. And it happened with two live crew and everyone's calling for it to happen with cop killer. I just think that's odd of all the controversial music almost never in, in the news now. It's just, you, yeah, people can say whatever they want. Well, in music. I, I don't think well, that's entirely true. I well, mean, I mean, listen, yeah, was, listening was that, to Ben that, Shapiro read the lyrics to what my wet ass P word, my wet ass P word, get a bucket and a mop for my wet ass P word, wet ass yes. P word. I mean, if you need a bucket and a mop, uh, my wife, who's a doctor, says that you have a medical problem. <laughs> And I, I also want to well, because we'll... that that voice was too cute for Benjiro. This does not sound that adorable. But we... yeah, yeah, mainly it's a publicity stunt. I mean, yeah. the end result of all that was just a little sticker that became a selling point. Mm-hmm. It came to be like you wanted the parental advisory on your CD if you're yeah. Well, I, I, after that month. but I still think it went yeah. back and forth. The album could was removed from some stores. The song was removed from the album. It went back and forth. And I just we were it was something we were I was talking about with friends last night. I'm, it's a it's a 2022 rant, and so I'm going to make it brief. I am really sick of millionaire comedians with major platforms talking about being canceled. <laughs> I am. It's so obnoxious and it's so tiresome, and I'm very sick of hearing it. And one of my favorite podcasts of last year, and I would never recommend another podcast on our podcast, was what? Mark Maron's show, where it's rather than a typical interview, he talks to Cliff Nesteroff, comedic, comic historian, David Bean Cooley about the Smothers Brothers. And then ends it with an Ice-T quote about this. And he's like, huh. and, and Ice-T has a surprisingly lucid, just, 
I uncharacteristic like response to like, yeah, I, I fought for, I exercised my free speech to the maximum. He's like, but I paid a fucking huge consequence and I'm not sure I would do it again. And I just didn't expect him to say something like that. I'm like, no, I, there was a huge toll for me trying to put this album out to my career, to my money going away. And maybe I fought that. He just, he just sounded like maybe I fought the good fight, but I probably wouldn't do that again. It was just because there are consequences to things you say. And there always has been, you're just finally hearing about it. Anyway, moving on, moving on to non-cancellation related news. Batman returns is still great. And still number one at the box office. And it's gonna, it's got some pretty good competition this week with two very successful movies. The first, I think number three at the box office. Look at this cast. Pretty amazing. This is black excellence. I, I, I don't know if it's amazing. In fact, <laughs> I, I watched this. I'm not sure there's a white person with a with a line. And it takes place in the corporate world. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. It, it, love that. I wish I, lo- I wish I loved it more because I can see why it's special. And it's also a wonderful timepiece and a great cast. Uh, John Witherspoon, R.I.P. Leela Rashawn, Tisha Campbell, Chris Rock, Eartha Kitt, Jeffrey Holder, Martin Lawrence, who's having a big week, Grace Jones, David Allen Greer, Dag, Halle Berry, Robin Givens, and Eddie Murphy in Boomerang. Hey! Eddie Murphy. You're a devil! In a movie about the quest for relationships. Let me get a good look. Good luck, Jet Magazine! And in the game of love. We're talking back to you, okay? That's a new one, not Marcus. What goes around, comes around. Call me. Sad, man. First the fat boys break up, now this. <laughs> Rated R. I don't know that any... can't imagine any black person complaining about the breakup of the fat boys. Boomerang, just kind of an... I don't know. Like, I'm sure there were black romantic comedies before. But this is the one I remember, like, oh, everyone's got to see this. Not major hits. Yeah. Um, black sexuality is usually not popular at the box office. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a definite trend, especially in the 1980s, with uh, especially black male actors, mm-hmm. where if they get romantic or sexual it just takes a huge hit to not only that film but sometimes their future films as well Mm -hmm. and i think that actually happened to eddie murphy here this was a huge turning point is his career let me Mm -hmm. list a couple of films before now 48 hours trading spaces beverly hills cop golden child beverly hills cop 2 coming to america harlem nights another 48 hours and now we have Boomerang. Mm-hmm. Yep. This so, was not the hit that the other ones were. No. And after this, we get films like The Distinguished Gentleman, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Vampire in Brooklyn, Ugh. The Nutty Professor, Dr. Doolittle. You know, there's this is a turning point in Eddie Murphy's career. Yeah. 100%. And a very. Yeah. In- and I, I was going to say, just like another, the, the next movie we're going to talk about, someone coming off of two. Not quite successes. I mean, they were like, they did okay at the box office, another 48 hours in Harlem Nights, but they weren't exactly popular. And Mm -hmm. yeah, we do have this little string of Eddie Murphy in, I mean, he's always been an adult performer. Yes. We we get the turn into family friendly around Nutty Professor. That's that's what. So we're kind of in the last guess, but like of him, Boomerang and Distinguished Gentleman are both him playing players. Yes. something we've seen as much well this is apparently a script eddie murphy wanted to work on and wanted to make in kind of i think the quote was like he wanted a cary grant style role and i and and that's where he wanted his career to go and so in a 
I don't say this super negatively, but this is kind of a vanity project. This is not something Eddie, yeah. the kind of project Eddie Murphy was being offered. It's one he had to shepherd. And it's also where he becomes like the big movie star family guy that I just, I just love dirty, loud Eddie Murphy. And I really don't prefer this type of character for him. And this isn't a timeless film in any way. Oh, um, no. no. It, I mean, it really I, does the, capture 92. Man. Yeah. And at its heart, our hero is really good at lying yeah. to women <laughs> to trick them to have sex with him under false pretenses. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's that's his whole shtick. Yeah. You know, and I've I've never flat out lied to a woman to get sex in my entire life, honestly. I did, and but it, but to be fair, I told him I was GR Rolls. Okay, there you go. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. That's weird. But, I also told some ladies I was JR. Works every time. Works every time. God damn it. I wish that line worked when I was single. But uh, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, uh, he undergoes this movie cliche where he's the player and he gets played by a woman who is his female equivalent. Mm -hmm. She is utterly him, but with a vagina. Mm -hmm. She yeah. would much rather watch the Michael Jordan game and drink beers and uh, use him for sex and then leave. That's her idea of a perfect night. Which, to mm -hmm. be fair, this is 1992 Michael Jordan. That's sure. got to be a hell of a game. <laughs> that, that's... But, Pretty freaking great, dude. And if she looks like Robin Givens, yeah, honey, go and, for and it. kind of this has but to be her what, biggest I, role, right? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, mm -hmm. we talked about her in A Rage in Harlem, where she looks amazing mm -hmm. and is really fun, but that wasn't as big a hit as this. This is, you know, a this is a, this is a big ass movie, mm -hmm. and yeah, she's freaking great. But yeah, and I love that, like, they actually get into like why is Eddie Murphy's character like this, mm -hmm. and not in the like oh, I was never hugged as a child. But just like he likes to chase and then he finds a flaw and then he runs away. It's mm -hmm. like he's coming up with excuses to not actually have relationships. And it just might be like eh, her, her feet. Or I, he I, has a ginormous know. foot fetish and he's too embarrassed <laughs> to say so. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. He just really wants perfect, perfect feet. But yeah. So meanwhile, it's also about uh, corporate shenanigans in the Eddie Murphy and Robin Givens are basically sort of in competition for the same job, mm -hmm. working at a cosmetics company run by Eartha Kitt in uh, a turban, which always makes me happy. <laughs> she is so fucking crazy in this movie. I loved it. And then just when Eartha Kitt's not around, Grace Jones is there <laughs> at Stranger, their their lead model. Nice. Oh my god, I I have to recommend this movie just for her. Mm -hmm. I'm. I think I said on the the Conan the Barbarian uh, special. Or I think I'm a Grace Jones asexual. Um, <laughs> she's incredible. It just everything she does is so freaking weird, and uh, I am here for it. Look up her video for Demolition Man. Yeah. It's haunted. There's a scene where she starts yelling "pussy, pussy, pussy" as as loudly as she can in a restaurant, yeah. and it's a sight to behold. Yeah, it's like we should <laughs> think about. We should call this fragrance steel vagina. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I would buy steel vagina. And yeah, when she's not around, there's Eartha Kit walking by, going, "I'm not wearing any panties." <laughs> <laughs> and okay, Eartha. And I mean, yeah, this movie grossed 131 million dollars of 1992 money, so it is beyond a hit. Wow. And it again, I 
I give it a light recommend because I love time capsule movies like this where, you know, everybody's clothes are trying their best to be now. Mm. That doesn't ha- feel like it happens in a lot of movies. It's so pretty to look at. And the thing that I think maybe Trojan Horse, its cultural staying power, it has to be talked about. In the wake of The Bodyguard, this is like the next big, huge soundtrack that sells thir- mm. 3 million copies, uh, wow. all produced by Babyface. And the lead single off of this is Boys to Men, End of the Road. So if you think you've seen Boomerang more than you have, you might have just been watching MTV and the music video for End of the Road, which has Boomerang footage all throughout it. It is also the kind of the debut of Toni Braxton, who will oh. come out with her solo album a year or two from now, and it'll be it become, it'll be on the charts the entire year. It, the soundtrack is filled with... It's just like back in the day when we, you couldn't buy songs a la carte. It was like the cheapest way to get the most hit songs. And this thing stays on the charts for, for months and months and months. Do yep. end of the end of the it was the only way to get into the road other than the single <laughs> boomerang, baby. Like it, it's probably it might be in your old CD cabinet somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, because it's a sex comedy. Yeah. From 30 years ago. There are plenty of jokes that don't hold up. Oh, yeah. Up. And things you there's, wouldn't do in an office. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of like, oh, I don't know about that. But it's not like, I'm so pissed off I need to turn this off. It's more just like, a, yes. oh, come on, guys. I think I, I think I have one of those later in the segment. But it is uh, not... Even... Yeah, everyone is sexually harassing everyone yes. else. It's yeah. like the, the plot is sexual harassment, the movie. So now that... I personally know more about sexual harassment than I definitely did in 92. I can understand, like, this might not be fucking funny to certain mm-hmm. people who've <laughs> it's endured. It's played for laughs, so I don't know. But it's, it's. I think it's number three at the box office. A big, big number two it, against Batman Returns. I, I just love how, like, this next movie sort of Trojan horse a chick flick into one of my favorite films. My, my whole family can watch this together. And it, it did that using baseball, which that means dad would bring it to the house. It's about baseball. <laughs> I'm going to end up watching it. And just to become like an all-time favorite, a true classic, I can't say enough nice things about Megan Cavanaugh, Ann Ramsey, Bill Pullman, Gary Marshall, David Stratham, John Lovitz, Rosie O'Donnell, Lori Petty, Madonna, Gina Davis, Tom Hanks in A League of Their Own. Oh, and I should highlight this. Diana usually grabs uh, most of the trailer clips, if not all. I think this trailer is misleading because, well, listen. This summer, Tom Hanks is managing the Rockford Peaches. Are you crying? There's no crying in baseball! Or are they managing him? Let's get something started! Oh, now, hey, on the field. Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Madonna. <laughs> Got him! A League of Their Own. Directed by Penny Marshall. Tom Hanks is not, by a long shot, the star of this movie. This is not his film. This is not his story. He is top billed, yes. which I find very strange. I I did not hear or see a Gina Davis in there. Yeah, I mean, they, they did Gina mention Davis. Gina Davis and, oh, and, and at the very end, Gina Davis, Madonna. Like, this is a movie starring Gina Davis. And in multiple yeah. promotional materials, it really just leads with Hanks. Sort of like the way Aladdin led with a, a Robin Williams genie, even though he's in the movie for, like, less than 20 minutes. And mm. it's that's what it's sort of doing. But, like, Tom Hanks, I think the way I remember it being written about, he is he had made some successful movies, but he wanted to do a smaller role in something that wouldn't take that much time, decided to do a league of their own. And then like his star rose hugely and they wanted to yeah, play up. He, we got a movie. Was, we got a Tom Hanks movie here. Yeah. Just like Eddie Murphy, he was coming off a string of failures. Mm-hmm. I mean, movies that are fun to watch still, uh, 
the burbs and Joe versus the volcano, but they were failures. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, people are like, okay, well, maybe Tom Hanks as a movie star isn't a thing anymore. Yeah. Like maybe Big was just sort of an outlier and we can't hang a movie on Tom Hanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah as crazy as it is, 30 years ago, people were saying, yeah, yeah. Tom Hanks' career is that's, over. That's it was... a Petty Marshall bringing him back. I had, yeah. I, I had good luck with Tom Hanks and Big. I'm going to throw this out here. Mm-hmm. This is Gina Davis's, Madonna's, Lori Petty's, and John Lovitz's best performance in any film. Hmm. Other Ooh. than Mom and Dad Saved the World, I would I would say that's correct. But but it I, yeah, it, it's um, somewhat indisputable. Yeah, I, I don't know about Gina Davis. I mean, Thel- I got to go with Thelma Louise. Louise oh, oh, all right, I, I but, retract. But, that but, name is withdrawn. Madonna, Absolutely. Yeah. This is the best acting Madonna has ever done. And apparently she was miserable on set because she said the dudes in Chicago weren't hot enough for her. (laughs) (laughs) Work, Madonna. And the rise of Rosie O'Donnell. They're such a great comedic pair. They're mostly in scenes together with one another. And there's, I'm I'm guessing there was clearly some off-screen friendship that ended up being played up on screen between Rosie O'Donnell and Madonna because they appeared together a bunch after this and Mm -hmm. talk shows and whatnot. But, But just like... I don't watch many sports movies anymore, but this is like a stone cold classic and just the period nature of it makes it timeless. Yeah. Because it's never not going to be 1942 in this film. Yeah. You know, it's it's, this film was looking back on a world that was already gone today. That world's already gone. And in the future, it's going to be already gone. And it's not, it's it's a sports movie. That's not just an underdog tale. The entire league is struggling, and the end of the movie tells you that the league ceases to exist. It's they're forever underdogs, even when they win. Yeah. And well, I mean, how this movie got made is pretty fascinating. It it started with a short on local PBS television. There's a half hour documentary by a woman talking about her mom. Her mom mm-hmm. was a player in the All American Girls Professional Baseball League during World War II because right. all the men go away, so they try to make a buck. And that like got some attention and they started, you know, working, they wrote up a treatment and they, they end up bringing in Lil Gans and Babalu Mandel who are on a hot streak as writers right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about city slickers and parenthood already. Yeah. Respectable uh, city comedies. Slickers in particular, like yeah, very that's good. a movie that you remember one way and then you watch it and you're like, oh, this has like real depth and heart to it. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. that was, we and, were all shocked when we rewatched it a few months ago. <laughs> and it, yeah. It's totally the same with a league of their own where it's, they, they are covering a whole bunch of important issues, mm-hmm. but still keep it really light. The idea that like people don't take female athletes seriously, that even some of the athletes are like, I, I don't love this. I'm going yeah. to be a housewife now. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, all the men are in war and they might fucking die. Um, oh, that's a that's a gut much of a scene where it's, it's just fantastic. like Ooh. Yeah, and and even the tiniest of nods that I really appreciate of this is segregated. These are only white women. Yeah. And they just have yeah. the nicest little like minute long shot of like yeah, all the the black ladies are watching from they can't watch from the stands. They got to watch from the back and they'd be killing it out here, but uh, yep. yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I, but, what I what I, I just it's there's a rare handful. We were a one TV household. There's a rare basket of films my sister and I could kind of agree on. But I love mm-hmm. I also love the sibling rivalry. That's oh yeah oh yeah almost right at the heart of the film. And my sister and I watch this all the fucking time. Dad was always down. Mom was you know always mom. But like it was just something the three of us could always if it's on we're gonna watch it. We're gonna watch the whole thing. Yeah, 
it totally yeah. is one of those mm -hmm. movies for me too and i i like the sibling rivalry because like as i've over the years i i started out just like really hating the younger sister like god you're such a fucking brat no, and then no. re-watching it over time i start realizing like no they both have points though yeah. they're both kind of right yeah and i just like really like this period of Lori petty I just really like her in this movie. Loved her in Point Break a Tank Girl. But even though she's in this less, less her performance, I don't know. I, I really dig it. Solid. And this is a World War II film. You know, Tom yeah. Hanks has been in other World War II films, but <laughs> this is absolutely a World War II film. It's just about the home front. It's, it's, and it really... <laughs> it's just Tom Hanks' first World War II film. I think that's how we can phrase <laughs> yeah. this. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's important to remember what a different world 1942 was. If mm -hmm. you wanted to watch a major big league game, you better live oh. in a big city yeah. or be mm -hmm. visiting one. No television. They didn't film the entire game and then play it at your local cinema. So the only games you ever saw were games you could either drive or walk to. And for most people, that was your small local team. Mm -hmm. And uh, Time Magazine did a study around this time, and they found that there were 100,000 American women in small local teams. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't from nothing. You know, this was something that was around. Mm -hmm. It was something that was never as popular as men, but it still existed in some form yeah. that they could blossom into a professional league. Yeah. That's and I totally. really like how they show the ups and downs of that league trying to get started. It's a great journey for yeah, both the characters in the league. I was reminded watching this of Glow because, mm, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, not just because the ladies, but like a uh, glow licensed the name glow. There was a glow wrestling unit, but the, n none of those wrestlers are real. Not, the story isn't the same as the story of the actual glow. And this is based on a thing that happened, but it is not a real thing. It is a fictionalized version of a real thing. Am I correct yeah. on that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had to take a couple of licenses. Like the the first season, they pitched underhanded mm -hmm. because most of them came out of softball leagues. And then they kind of had like a hybrid of rules. And so they changed it to it's close. It's a lot closer to baseball mm. than it is to softball because you can actually steal bases and stuff. So, yeah, uh, like, OK, that's a very tiny detail. I think we can all understand sure. why they would change that yeah. detail. And yeah, it, and it started out like it, it wasn't as outrageous an idea as they, they played up as. Yeah. But that's but, movie things, you know, yeah, they, uh, it's a movie thing. like they have people booing their game. And it's like that Lisa Simpson quote. Why would they pay money to attend our concert just to boo us? <laughs> yes. yeah. You got you got to think like, you know, I'm thinking about my grandfather was like so addicted to football that like if you took it away from him and told him he'd have to watch it with him, he's like, fine. Just as long as it's football. And that mm -hmm. that was probably, you didn't see a lot of incel behavior. Like, at least we still have this during this weird period in America where everything's changing and we're all conserving this and that. We can still enjoy baseball somehow. Yeah. And yet at the same time, yeah, they got to play in skirts. Mm -hmm. And they do actually have to take, you know, like etiquette lessons and be dainty and always wear makeup. And that's why I, I, I double checked it uh, in August. There is going to be a League of Their Own series. Yes, I just I yeah, saw that while yeah, researching. Yeah, we'll bring that up. Yeah. Uh, and oh. I am really looking forward to it because they can bring up some of the yes. issues that were less family friendly and less likely to come up in 1992. Like mm -hmm. how many women were in relationships with other players 
and were drummed out of the league for it. Even really? just getting kind of a butch haircut could get you kicked out of the league huh. because they really needed to make it clear as like, these are all American girls and apparently lesbians aren't all American. And as recently as I think a week ago, one of the players who's now 95 came out. Wow. wow. And yeah. I'm so happy. And like seeing, other, I read a good article about it too, where it's other stories of, yeah, women who met, in, in the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League and stayed together for 70 years. Wow. But they really needed to make a thing of like, no, no, they're still ladylike because people will be disgusted if they think that they're not into dick, I guess. Yeah. As the 40s, goddammit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there was also a TV show based on a league of their own that comes out soon after the movie. And oh, John it... Lovitz reprises his really? role for that. But yes. I did not know Oh, that. it's awful. <laughs> it's, <laughs> well, it's on, uh, some of it's yeah. on YouTube. Stay Sam tuned I... for that, listeners. Yeah, we'll uh, cover uh, it when it comes along. We'll this movie's a gem. It's bad. Oh, a uh, World War yeah. II set baseball yeah. sitcom? What same, the fuck? Same character. And like they do kind of the mash thing where some some scenes don't have a laugh track and some do. Mm, wow. It's Oof. it's very unfortunate. I'm looking forward <laughs> to the Amazon one, though, because oh. it's got a lot of cool people involved. Abby Jacobson from Broad City I think is yeah. co-producing. So, and uh, This is yeah. a quote from Penny Marshall. Not me. Penny Marshall mm -hmm. said this. Uh, quote, Demi Moore was in line to be one of the roles, but she got pregnant, so couldn't do it. So Bruce Willis literally screwed her out of the part, end quote. <laughs> and uh, speaking of Tom Hanks first, scenes of Tom Hanks peeing in movies. The <laughs> most orgasmic pee scene yeah. of all film history. Yeah. I mean, oh, I have, so it happy. is. It, so I haven't seen this film in 25 years, and the all of the plot was deleted from my memory. Mm -hmm. But there are so many scenes that it is like, I absolutely remember this frame by frame. The peeing scene was one of them. It was just like burned into my brain. <laughs> I love um, Madonna's like, get a watch, let's time him. Yeah. <laughs> I guess but, the, the, the number is like 58 seconds too. Yeah. And it goes on so long. But look at Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump has to go pee, Castaway, Green Mile, he's constantly trying to pee he's he, he's peeing in apollo 13 he pees in almost every movie on screen after <laughs> all this. right it's incredible this could be a, a quentin tarantino foot thing it's, for tom hanks <laughs> i hope not i'll but, be in your movie but uh, i have to get to piss it hey, mr spielberg uh it's going really well when, when do i pee in this scene <laughs> yeah yeah this was a huge success there were only seven films in 1992 that made over 100 million dollars and yeah. this is one of and two yeah. of them are, are, are movies this week. That's nuts. Yeah, that's right. Are you, are you ready for... I, I My mind is blown on, on this one. A League of Their Own is the highest grossing film about baseball. Is it yeah, really? surprise me. All time. I can believe it. Be beating Moneyball that came out 20 years later, and I am not adjusting for wow. inflation. Oh, you're not adjusting. Not Man, I'm adjusting surprised. for wow. inflation. A League okay. of Their Own be did better than Field of Dreams, did better than Bull Durham. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And wow. I... It's, all right, let, other than major league yeah a wow. league of their own is the highest grossing baseball movie of all time and i will say wow. it's probably the best yeah baseball it might movie be the best i mean like, uh, I, I i don't like baseball but i do like yeah, memories of watching league. movies with my dad and he liked field of dreams and so do what therefore so do i he made me do a book report of the black Sox scandal yeah this might be up there with that in the sandlot which i still didn't love big mm. final question before mm -hmm. we move on it's been mm -hmm. debated debated for 30 years at this point did 
Gina Davis intentionally let the ball go or not? I think she did. She says she knows the answer to this. Wow. And she will never tell. <laughs> I like that. And then she gets asked this constantly. And she says, I have an answer and I will never ever tell you. Because that's another thing mentions like Penny Marshall really. I mean, she they they worked real hard. They had to do boot camp and, and really get good at baseball. Turns out they were practicing with modern gloves. And then when they switched to vintage gloves. <laughs> oh shit vintage gloves are different and it's harder <laughs> and like everyone wrote little backstories for all the characters and everything so i i feel like no i okay. don't think she did it on purpose i don't think I... she would do that to her teammates but i see the argument very much for why she would because she set her sister up to fail by by telling the pitcher what her weaknesses were and then her sister overcame it yeah, and that's that's my fundamental argument. I do think she dropped it intentionally on her own. I acknowledge ambiguity is the point. We're never going to yep. get an answer. I'm fine with that. But to me, the character repeatedly said she didn't much care about baseball. Yeah. And that's the case sometimes. And, and if she sometimes intentionally people do things and they're just like, I'm just doing this. It's not the be all of my life. If you do interpreters are intentionally dropping the baseball, then you get heroic endings to both of those character stories. Exactly. And it, it, it works the best. And it's, I don't care if anybody reveals it to me, but that's just the way I like to think of it. Yeah. <sighs> it's just, it, the, yeah, this is one. It's like, oh, I feel like I remember it pretty well. And then watching it with a critical eye and seeing how well structured it is, how well they set up all of these different things that will end up paying off. I mean, they set up what is her weakness as a batter literally in her first scene. They even set up little things like what telegrams mean from the War Department. They set that up quietly so that when it comes up, you the audience knows. They mm -hmm. just do a really good job of structuring this. My only regret is that I guess there's more John Lovitz and they cut it down to just the best parts. Because I, I don't know. I feel like he's a spice. He's he's yeah. the perfect <laughs> amount of spice. And it's like, oh, I really love the oregano in this. But if you like double the oregano, you're like, yeah. yeah. I, I'll good. never forget yeah. the reaction to the he's... audience when I saw this in theaters. Like, give the wife a little pickle tickle. And it was just like... <laughs> That simultaneous, ew, but like women laughing through their disgust. Uh, <laughs> My favorite is clearly an ad lib while they're having a scene with a cow that keeps mooing in the background. Mm -hmm. And they're just talking. If I just turned to the cow, it's, well, you, you shut, shut up. up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, does that Plus, hurt yeah. them? It doesn't seem to. Well, it would get me sore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have fun plucking cows or whatever it is you do. <laughs> All right, all yeah, right. He, he just dominates. Yeah, that's the why first I say this is his best film role of all time. I think so because yep. you know no one's calling John Lovitz a great dramatic actor, but he's in like a straight movie just playing the the. That's what he does. John Lovitz is funny because he's an old timey character, and I don't know why they don't put him in more old timey things because he'd be perfect there. I think yeah. A League of Our Own is a hard recommend from all of us, is it not? Yeah, oh, hard recommend. Ab absolutely. Yeah. It's, yeah, another one of those like, eh, I think I remember it. Oh, God damn, this is a masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then moving on to television, 1992, July 1st. Through an equal masterpiece. Uh, 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 one, my only note on this, I Googled it. The f and then you get those Google questions underneath. And the first one is, is Howie Mandel black? How did you? What? Why would you even ask? How would you know who he was to even ask that? He's not famous for his radio career. Anyway, uh, Howie premieres. <laughs> and what kind of show is this? I'm yeah, it's kind a of prime unclear. time sketch comedy series yeah. uh, performed yeah. in a theater in the round. Mm -hmm. The announcer... 
uh, Maurice LaMarche ah. hey. would go on to voice the brain, the brain mm-hmm. from Pinky and the Brain. And Orson Welles and Ed Wood. Yeah. Some some visions are worth fighting for, Ed. And there's a guest appearance by Bobby. There usually is. So, like, I I never got Bobby. I never oh, I got why Bobby is funny. I love I love the show, and I, I I go to bat for it during its debut like a year or two ago because it was kid shows on Saturday morning were pretty saccharine and formulaic and Hanna Barbera y, and that was just like oh this is funny intent like really funny for a kids TV show like just subsim. What, what I find amazing Howie Mandel, whether you like it or not, is one of the richest entertainers who has ever lived. He is. Has had numerous successes. My favorite thing of his is Gremlins. I've never been a huge fan of his com- comedy. His, But his television shows where he's doing comedy are all failures. He has succeeded as a dramatic actor on St. Elsewhere. He has been a game show, a famous game show host, a famous talent show host. His comedy has never succeeded. He had, an, he had a sitcom, a half-hour sitcom, didn't got one season as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, he has his own, a, a cartoon show that he created and voiced went seven seasons. The only thing Howie Mandel couldn't break into was comedy. <laughs> it was comedy. It's bizarre to think about. Uh, well, and then, this is available free on YouTube. If mm-hmm. it's your type of thing, you'll like it. I didn't care for it. It seems it's looks like an old variety show and just very slightly better resolution. Uh, and I can answer that question for the, you Google searches out there. Howie Mandel is Canadian and is black. Then <laughs> the, and then the show I like, I didn't. I didn't track this down because I do love the movie quite a bit, and I'm sure it can't do it justice. Failed pilot for a Witches of Eastwick show. Uh, yeah, it is not good, y'all. I've actually Mm-mm. never seen the movie, uh, but no. I did watch this pilot. And oh God, should I still see the movie because it it? Oh, the movie's it's wonderful. Good. The movie's great. Fury mm, Road. It's a lot of fun. Is it Romero? No, uh, George oh, Miller. 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 Yeah, sorry, George Miller, yeah. the director <laughs> of Fury Max Road. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's great, and it's it's got it's a high budget comedy, which I'm assuming you can't do on television every week. Yeah, this is a low budget alleged comedy. Yeah, I did not laugh once. I didn't even <laughs> maybe I smiled like like this. And he, yeah. Here's something. The next entry is something that has been lost to time on television, but still sort of exists on Disney Plus. I would get so excited whenever they were filming a special in Disneyland or Disney World, and I'd sit down and I'd pat my legs in anticipation and gradually grow bored out of my mind for an hour as they like introduce boy scout choirs like <laughs> nearly dead comedians and this week sure. celebra- no, no, this this is a full show we're yeah. talking about celebrate the spirit disney's all-star fourth of july spectacular it's hosted by john ritter we've got mm-hmm. billy ray cyrus chris yeah. cross shanice and <laughs> cartoon interstitials so you know this oh, is a fun. decent show if you're looking in for that type of thing and put a pin in it because I'm going to talk in our final TV segment about a show that is not really a show and doesn't even really count as a screensaver to me. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then lastly, I I hinted earlier, it was a big week for Martin Lawrence. I I know JR and I found the same thing that like, I think they would do this on cable. They would soft launch or release an episode months earlier, but the real start of deaf comedy jam as a weekly series begins this week and would go on for I don't know how many seasons. It's a lot. And it's mostly streaming, not 
this is back when HBO didn't finance or own its own programming, so it's streaming everywhere. For watch it on Tubi for free right now, uncensored. But I was like, I wanted to go get a like, whoa, what is the first episode of Def Comedy Jam? sound like hosted by martin lawrence with comedians like steve white Derek fox joe tory yvette wilson because it's the first ever platform for largely black comedians that's totally uncensored i think there was always showtime at the apollo and other places you could see uh comics but like yeah this has to be great this introduction black people have like their own fucking stand-up review on hbo totally uncensored and then it starts out wonderful and then gets cringe so fast martin lawrence let us know what this is all about we're going to have a good time here tonight. Welcome to the Deaf Comedy Jam, where we present young black... No, I mean, I don't just mean black, because I know white people going, oh, fuck. Is it a black thing? <laughs> where, we present, where we present young comics from all over the world. So y'all have a good time. And when we say deaf, for those who don't know what the fuck we're talking about, we don't mean deaf like, okay. And that becomes the rest I of the introduction to, <laughs> to the clip. A yeah. uh, bunch of uh, deaf jokes. and But yeah, Deaf Comedy Jam, mm-hmm. the, that exact series ran for eight seasons, the last of which was in 2008. So, yeah, you it's know, confusing. It an I thought it got resurrected again. And then, and then again, and then again, and then it has like spiritual successors. There was the de- oh death yeah, there's like jam, death poetry, loco slam, slam or jam, loco slam. Um, the uh, yeah, there's Latino definitely version. spinoffs from this, but the actual deaf comedy jam. Yeah, so, yeah. If you're like me and you like podcasts, and every once in a while I just want to like clean up my house a little bit. And I did Netflix give up on stand up? I feel like it used to be like all new stand up specials, and like I've seen I, all I these. Think it- Worldwide pandemic may have put a that slow have on that making might... new stand-up special. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. God, I feel like an idiot. <laughs> All right. Um, mo- <laughs> then moving on to, like, I don't know how else to say this. We already talked about the debut of this game last year, but that was in arcades. And I did play it in arcades. This is really cool. I have a budget as a kid of $4 in quarters every week, and I can only get so far and I can't beat these people in Street Fighter. But Street Fighter 2, The World Warrior, comes home to SNES, and this, to me, is when the phenomenon really took off. This is like all we did for the rest of 1992. Every single day, we played Street Fighter against one another. A hundred percent. I have <laughs> so many more memories of the SNES version mm-hmm. of Street Fighter 2 just because unlimited quarters, y'all. When I'm at <laughs> yeah. the arcade, it's costing me money every time I play. But when I got it from my home, we could have a huge epic struggle that mm-hmm. would start at like 5 p.m and end at 6 a.m yeah and it would just go on and on because we could not get enough about playing these characters because all the street fighter characters fight differently mm-hmm. except for ken and ryu but yeah it was such a huge change to have that complex of a arcade game on your home console system in a very very good conversion very good to my 1992 eyes, it was a one-to-one conversion. Yeah, it's, it's, Obviously, it's, these days right. I can see it and see, oh, yeah, these are all the differences. But back then, it was an incredible feat of programming. All you have to do is compare this to some ports that came before it, like mm-hmm. Pit Fighter. It's Oof. a horrible port on the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. This is an amazing port. The Game Genie gave you a code for this version that lets you play as the bosses. Mm-hmm. That was just right. amazing. That's right. They... And yeah, yeah. I, I played this ton. Who was your main, Chris? Uh, Guile. Okay. And then and then late yeah, later on I was better with charge characters than I was characters with 
super difficult inputs. I, I started off with Dahalism because ridiculous. His, I just really liked his long arms and long legs. Yeah. Uh, but then I switched over Yoga. to Chun Li and I became invincible with Chun Li. There was a house rule. <laughs> I could not play as Chun Li because then it just wouldn't be a competition. And to this day, like 28 years later, because it was uh, 2020, like January, right before the lockdown, I was over at a, a friend in North Carolina's party. He had a home arcade and he had Street Fighter 2 and we had a tournament and I won with Chun-Li. And I was so proud of my skills for holding up. Like they're probably a 10th of what they were in 1992. But to just have them hold up that later, it was still that Ah, sheer joy of these Ooh. characters. It's awesome. That's on the eve of a Capcom Fighting Collection coming out this week in the in the real times. Gotta give a uh, Yes, I love my Street Fighter yeah. and love my Capcoms. Can we play the Dollism red tape sketch? Sure. What, is this the Pete Holmes thing? Right. Yeah, it is. Oh. Pete Holmes had a TV show like a, after Conan for a little while and did job interviews of all the Street Fighter characters. And I believe Dollism is played by Kumail Nanjiani. Yep. <laughs> Listen, I use my yoga to fight for peace. peace. Mm -hmm. You're a big peace guy? Big guy. Uh, are, are those peace skulls you're wearing? <laughs> Sorry, come again? Around your neck, are those, are those peace skulls? The, the jewelry, the human, human skull jewelry you have? <laughs> oh, these guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, these are peace skulls. Those are human <laughs> skulls, and they're very, very small. If those are baby skulls, I don't even want to know. I couldn't begin to describe that to legal. Okay, well, in yoga, there's a lot of, like, different kinds of things that are considered, like, okay to do. Some people would say that you can't do yoga on a full stomach, and then some people say that it's okay to wear baby skulls around your neck and... <laughs> God, I would listen to that all day. I, I really yeah. love those sketches, because that, to me, felt like... We're finally treating Street Fighter like a mainstream reference. Yeah. And a studio executive isn't going to question comedians. Will people get this? Yeah, again, I worked, I worked on the brand. Like they, they are the second most recognizable game characters in the world behind the Mario team. Yes, even more than Sonic. Street Fighter 2, man, out on Super Nintendo. I remember every little bit of that goddamn cartridge. Love it. 1992 books. We got a book in here. Welcome to the Dead House. It is by a little man named uh, R to the L to the Stein. The first Goosebumps book is out 30 years ago. Holy cow. Yep. Um, I knew this was a big thing, and I have just been looking. How big are we talking? And uh, Goosebumps is the second Jesus. highest selling book series of all time, only behind Harry Potter. That means wow, Bernstein Bears, fewer copies. Sweet Valley High, fewer copies. Nancy Drew. Boxcar children? <laughs> I'm just kidding. All <laughs> this time. Wow. Yeah, because there's so many of them. It yeah. started out, this one sold 50,000 copies. Number three sold 100,000 copies, which is wow. still very good. Yeah. But as the series progressed, it was up to, you know, 4 million copies for book number 37. And then another wow. 4 million copies for book number 38. And so on and so forth. It expanded to a choose-your-own-adventure series, a board game, a card game. In October of 95, a Fox television Halloween special hosted by the Crypt Keeper. And then, of course, the Goosebumps television series. And once that came out, there was no stopping. Mm. Hell yeah. Goosebumps, baby. And uh, lastly, we got to talk about music of 1992. New releases from uh, Dream Theater with images and words. We also have Strength and uh, Strength Numbers by 24-7 Spies. And this one's going to hurt you by uh, Marty Stewart. Oh, but the immortal Hi. jam... I here just a look. I grew up mostly 
with Gen Xers, people who aren't into things, people who don't like to dance. <laughs> I have never seen anything like I did when I was 20 when I saw Sir Mix-a-Lot live and when he finally got to his hit, Baby Got Back and invited all the girls on stage. Every uptight, I'm not into anything, I would never do this and that, were on stage shaking their ass to Baby Got Back and I love reminding of that every time I see them at Christmas. Like, ah, oh, remember that time you fucking throwing your booty at Sir Mix-a-Lot and he was happy about it? <laughs> awesome. Oh, <laughs> my. This, uh, I've been getting messages for weeks on Twitter of, When's it going to be number one? I know it. I remember that summer. It's going to be number one. It's like, please, patience, children. <laughs> then you start hearing that bass line start, and it's like, yeah, everyone hits the dance floor. You just, yeah, a couple notes. And and this video, okay. Did did did, I, did people, children, was the... I've probably not seen this video. If you're under 20, there's a chance you've not seen this video. It's... Oh, my God. Please go so I don't video. remember it being, I don't remember necessarily being, it, was it controversial, the video? It was. Yeah, this the video was ass on screen. But they, they also giant ass. We don't mean a woman's big ass, although there are those. They we mean an ass about the size of a hill. They like made a, a what looks like a ass, mountain range like out of asses, and yeah. it looks like it looks like a place Rick and Morty would travel. And you look at it now, and it's like this is the funniest fucking video I've ever seen in my life. This is amazing. <laughs> I mean, the vegetables, just a bunch of vegetables yeah. that have nice rounded edges to them. It's and like, I, that's, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. I, I don't that remember the video all being. All kinds of other asses, but not just mm, plump tomatoes. I remember minor controversy around the video and like, oh, damn, a lot of hot women in this video. I don't see any of that anymore. I see comedy gold that nobody found funny 30 years ago. It is one of the funniest music videos I, you've ever seen. It's a great 90s relic, the Sir Mix-a-Lot video. But we'll take you out with Baby Got uh, Back. Real quick, mm. I got a shout out. I played this at my wedding. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like I said, it gets folks on the dance floor. Yeah. Uh, we'll take you out with Baby Got Back, but uh, your babies will be right back right after this. Magazines, saying flat butts all the thing. Take the average black man and ask him luck. She got to pack much back. So, fellas, yeah. fellas, yeah. your girlfriend got your butt? Hell yeah. Shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. Shake, it. shake, it. shake that healthy butt. Baby Got Back. L.A. Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. 
coming in 2002 with the Hindu Times off of Heathen Chemistry by Oasis. Oasis. They're still popular and together right now. Welcome to 2002, everyone. July 1st to the 7th of the week, we received other new musical releases like Babylon by Skindred, Charango by Morchiba, eh, I think I said that right, uh, Worship and Tribute and Worship and Tribute by Glassjaw, Hot in Here by Nelly is still number one. I still have to take off all my clothes. It's just too hot, damn it. <laughs> and then a little bit of news to remind you, you know, maybe some of the less fun stuff happening in the world. No, some of this is fun. Not this. Uh, the International Criminal Court has established to prosecute individuals for genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes, and the crime of aggression. Send yep. our Supreme Court there! Yeah. Yep. Uh, to date, all 44 people indicted by this court have been Africans. Wow. Mm. All right. It, the big criticism is that it just doesn't have the power. Communist China is committing genocide against the Uyghur people. Mm. That's fairly non-controversial statement, but Good luck trying to get right. the International Criminal Court to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's gone after a bunch of, to be honest, weak African states because they're weak. Mm-hmm. And it was able to do that. So, yeah. yeah. And in lighter news, Steve Fawcett becomes the first person to fly solo around the world nonstop in a balloon. I thought it was the chipmunks, but they did stop and switch the dolls out in the greatest movie ever, Chipmunk Adventure. Yeah. The secret was to just fly really super high which made things incredibly freezing cold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then his heating and communication system broke because they were so cold. But yeah, yeah, he managed to get a speed of 160 miles per hour by tagging along the Gulf Stream, which is very fast for a balloon. Wow. wow. And uh, much less interestingly, but you know, I like putting these things up because we like talking about how the internet is growing 20 years ago. And Listen.com becomes the first <laughs> o- online music service o- that offers authorized songs on demand to stream from five major record companies. And I checked on the URL today. It redirects to a ringtone site operated by real players. So I'm guessing there was some acquisitions <laughs> and changes of direction company policy. Let's talk about movies, 2002. Smaller movie off the top. Matthew McConaughey, Alan, Alan Arkin, and... Uh, Clea Duvall in 13 conversations about one thing. Yeah. didn't see it. I feel bad that I didn't get to see this because it's one of those indies that's like, oh, this is like pretty, it's pretty respectable. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it also got John Turturro in there. You got Amy Irving in there. It's made by uh, Jill Sprecher, who did Clock Watchers, which I enjoy. And it's one of those movies where it's just sort of like the odd ways that people intersect in their lives and mm. the story sort of follows them all along and i watched it and there's a french word sonder it's Mm -hmm. the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own Mm -hmm. and it's kind of capturing that mood because all these people's lives are intertwining and affecting each other in ways they'll never know and they're each going through their own separate journey and own separate crisis I know uh, critics really liked it. I mean, it made like no damn money. But Ebert, A.O. Scott from New York Times both said, you know, it was like something that could be kind of boring and turned out to be like really interesting. And all the characters, you know, they they felt very engaged with. And yeah, I feel like a jerk that I didn't get around to it because I I generally like movies like that. And they're very easy to fuck up, though. Mm. You know, they end up they can end up being very navel gazy and saying something really obvious about like the human condition. And it sounds like this one goes no, no. Uh, beyond. Yeah, I mean, these are 
real people having real problems. This isn't just a bunch of people making their own problems. It's like, ooh, yuck. And uh, I also think this is kind of the start of uh, reconnaissance because mm. it's when he's really coming into his own. Yeah, that's true. One of several reconnaissance. Yeah, <laughs> we talked about Magic Mike last week. The comeback reconnaissance. Oh, 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 speaking of Mike. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, thirteen conversations about one thing. I didn't watch this movie. I hope you guys didn't either, but I was a little astounded by the cast and how many members of Breaking Bad were in it. Jesse Plemons, Eugene Levy, Robert Foster, calm down. Crispin Glover, please calm down. This is not something you need to see. Jonathan Lipnicki, okay, here we go, balancing out. Morris Chestnut, Brenda Song, Lil Bow Wow, and Like Mike. Oh, look, it's produced by NBA Films. Yes, I didn't know that was a thing. I think that's why I was, was mistaken with when I was thinking about Juana Man, because I remember one of these had an official deal is yeah. basically made to, to the NBA. But it, the only thing I was thinking about this, and I had to look it up, it's called Like Mike. I think there's like Bow Wow gets some magic shoes potentially owned by Michael Jordan. Right. Michael Jordan is either a jerk or really hard to land for your movie. Because as shocked as I was that he didn't show up in Space Jam 2 for any reason, really? Are you that busy, Michael Jordan? You can't be, show up in Space Jam 2 for once. He wasn't in Like Mike, the movie about... It's his name is in the title. Yeah. You can't just show up here. Other NBA players show up. Yeah, what the fuck, Michael Jordan? What? <laughs> where are your other movie offers? You're entertaining. No, no, no. I'm gonna keep. I got a lot of balls in the air. Yeah, like Mike. Yeah, who cares? Whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Every review. I again didn't get to this one. Every review is like, eh, if kids like basketball, I suppose they'll like it. You know, the same way they like Air Bud or whatever. Yeah. Well, so we're one year away from Michael Jordan retiring for real. Mm-hmm. So this is the very end of his time in the spotlight. And yeah, yeah, I cannot describe how popular uh, Michael Jordan was to any youngster today it doesn't register and, and had been for you know 10 years in 92 we just talked about yeah wanting to watch the bulls on tv <laughs> because because mm-hmm. yeah. jordan's fucking playing the the summer olympics are going to start this month with the dream team we're going to have to get in depth oh, on God. the dream team and how that was just that's a poster i had mind-blowing yeah and uh man uh fun movie to talk about uh i I just wanted to play the teaser even though i probably shouldn't you'll know what type of movie this is when i read the cast tom kinney uh tom kane roger jackson eg daly tara strong kathy cavadini i don't know if i'm saying that right i like the teaser it's not important where it happened it's not important when it happened it's not even important how it happened What is important is it happened. Hi, what's your name? Cartoon Network presents Blossom, Bubbles, and Buttercup in the Powerpuff Girls movie. Yeah, Powerpuff Girls movie. Also also like Hey Arnold, a colossal bomb. Well, not really. It didn't cost that much. No, because yeah. I mean, again, it's they're, they're working with their TV budget, and they're just making a giant episode. But it, I, gotta, I, I would, uh, I, gotta I would say, say that's it, not true. It looks, uh, hey, it looks Arnold good. is a giant episode. This is a movie ass movie for the Powerpuff yes. Girls. This yeah. is a hundred percent. There are fight scenes you would Lots never see. Scenes. This complex in the show. It has. It's the origin story. This tells you how the Powerpuffs were born. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get that one minute intro. And it stretches that out into a full-length movie. Mm-hmm. And, and, and an interesting approach 
and I just what well, I, I I hate to ramble unnecessarily, but like I just to talk about the long process of animation in the fledgling Cartoon Network. This is their first movie, Cartoon Network's first movie, not just Ooh. made for TV movie, any kind of movie. First time Cartoon Network has made a movie. Powerpuff Girls is a show that's been on for a year, but there's been Powerpuff Girls fandom. Well, no, it's been on since like uh, 98, sorry. But here's what I remember. I'm 14. I'm still getting issues of 321 Contact. And Cartoon Network comes out with a What a Cartoon Show, which is basically like a broadcast pilot program. You can see a very early Family Guy prototype from Seth MacFarlane. And they have Cow and Chicken, Johnny Bravo, Dexter's Lab, and Powerpuff Girls. And they 321 Contact and Kid City, which my sister had, had all these stickers. I'm like, these cartoons are great, but they're only like one, two-minute thing. And I put the stickers everywhere, and like all my friends are like into it. By the time Cartoon Network greenlit a series for Powerpuff Girls, I am old enough to vote. It took it took that long, but but Powerpuff Girls still had a fandom because they're just likable little icons. So like when I was in high school, people had Powerpuff Girls stuff, and there wasn't much of a show yet. Part of the problem of the cartoon is that this cartoon did appeal more to adults, and mm-hmm. they even blame some yeah. of this on they noticed they had a big like maybe twenty year old male demographic. 15 to 20 year old male demographic, but they were not necessarily willing to embarrass their young selves by walking into a movie with girl in the title. Mm-hmm. And because the reviews are pretty okay. The, the animation is a step above more. So, JR just said that, but like cartoon network kind of trying to figure out what it wants to be, because I think the director said there was a, you know, a sea change in policy and like, we got to stop appealing to older people this is this is a network for kids god damn it and they have this movie that is like not very kid it's pretty violent it it's it, since uh to up the ante for the movie it is mostly action they mostly fight stuff it's it's pretty astonishing to see and it's kind of a lost artifact of i'm sure it's streaming on hbo max but like i just never hear anybody talk about it but it's pretty cool i didn't get to finish the, the movie but i was pleasantly surprised i've always liked the powerpuff girls and i thought it was pretty neat there was a hilarious bit at the end which you probably missed out on yeah. where mojo jojo mm. uh infects all the types of monkeys he can with chemical X, so they'll become super monkeys <laughs> and be his helpers. Mm-hmm. But instead, they all decide they want to be their own super villain. But they're all <laughs> dependent upon the chimpanzee has a different shtick than the bonobo, which have a different shtick than uh, the little symbol monkey guy. And it has a way, way too long monkey montage of oh, yeah, all the different it's, types of I did see that, see that clip on YouTube it's resolution was low but uh yeah you can see that on YouTube it a vague recommend for power it's a, I think it's a cool little milestone in animation history if you're a fan of the TV show and you never bothered to check it out check it out yeah. it holds oh. up yeah. Okay. I I feel bad because yeah, I did like the TV show. It was never quite appointment viewing, but every time I watched it, I was like, I love this, and I love the the aesthetic of it, the weird you know mid century modernness of it all, and ass kicking little girls. Were they originally called like the kick ass girls? Yes, like I think so. And yeah, I just said it. Yeah, I never got around to the movie. I guess. Well, again, yeah. you you would have been I. I had well, the stickers yeah, when, when I was 14, and I would have been 22 by the time the movie came out. Like, I, and that's that's what they say they were struggling with. That like when you're both Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network struggled with their our audience is rabid, and then age out of us in three years. What do we do? And they're really struggling with that. And I think Craig McCracken said this is sort of what inspired Samurai Jack. Okay, let's make movies 
for an older audience and then even older into Adult Swim. And now Cartoon Network, I think, has settled in this thing like let animation creators do whatever you want before seven o'clock. No curse words. Do whatever you want. And mm. whatever audience comes, we're OK with. And I just I love the state of Cartoon Network now. There's just a ton of great shows on it. Anyway, moving on to the biggest movie of the week. Number one at the box office, David Cross, uh, Jack Keller. Patrick Warburton, Tony Shalhoub, uh, Rosaria Dawson, Johnny Knoxville, Laura Flynn Boyle, Rip Torn, Will Smith, and Oscar winner, both Oscar winner, Tommy Lee Jones, Men in Black 2. This summer... You're getting big. What would you been eating? Their weapons are bigger. Lock and load, baby. Their technology is better. Is that come standard? Actually, it came with a black dude, but he kept getting pulled over. And on July 3rd, Hello. they've got a whole new style. Oh, you're back from outer space. Yes. I just walked in to find you here. Right. Men in Black 2. <laughs> Frank! I, ne- I never get tired of pointing that out. That is the voice, Frank the Pug, is Tim Blaney and is the only other major role I can find from the voice of Johnny Five. Oh. He is also Frank the Pug. And he's right. usually just like a puppeteer and has smaller voice roles. But Frank the Pug, other than Johnny Five, is Tim Blaney's biggest role. I'm going to throw this out here. Worst Men in Black. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I, I couldn't. Yeah. I don't even have to think about it. Yeah, we didn't. Do... I haven't seen Men in Black International, but uh, it didn't. It would have to be trying to be as <laughs> bad as this because it's just the first one, but not as good. Yeah, they, Tommy Lee Jones had such a pitch perfect ending in one, and Will Smith had a great new partner at mm-hmm. the end of one, and they destroy all of that. Mm-hmm. They just absolutely flush that ending down the toilet for all i can see no good reason and even if they didn't want to continue that route patrick walburn would have been a perfect new character Mm -hmm. i would have loved to have seen a film of will smith growing into the agent k role with his partner Mm -hmm. but that's not what we get we get them shoehorning with a sledgehammer, both of these characters back into the exact same positions they had in one, and they don't even do it well. No, I just like I understand wanting to try to recapture the magic, and you know, Mr. Smith and Mr. Jones are so much fun together. But yeah, you you there's got to be a better way. I was there I was has reading to be a better way to do it. I was reading Barry Sonnenfeld talking about having a paralyzing fear after Wild Wild West, that like. You can't leave Will Smith alone. He can't be the straight man. He can't be the exposition guy. Mm. And that's the lesson you take from Wild Wild West? Yeah. Really? <laughs> Among others. No other lessons can be taken from Wild Wild West? I don't West. know if it's the only one, but it's just sort of like we got rid of his partner and he needs someone to bounce things off of because he can't be the serious guy who explains everything. You need someone else to do that. So they, you can see him struggle. I, 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 to be honest, I was having a difficult time paying attention to this movie and we did not do it any favors by watching it so quickly after Men in Black 3, which I thought was that's the superior pretty people, phenomenal and the effects hold up a billion times better than th- this movie. It's 10 years in between. So it's not fair to say that necessarily, but like, yeah, have Having watched this yeah. right, right I, after I think three? this is fair. The effects in two are worse than the effects in one. You think so? It, yeah, yeah, I do. Mm. I do. Uh, this came out five years after one, and it feels cheap, rushed, and lazy. Yeah. And without credits, this is a 76-minute film. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. that. Oh, my God. Yeah, 60 minutes equals a feature-length film. Mm-hmm. And that carries over from um, the, the 20s. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, that's the standard set in the 20s. Wow. 76 minutes. I remember it as, it as being ridiculously short, but without credit, 76 minutes. Yeah, that's, yep. that suggests a ton of problems. Oh. And yeah. the only things people could agree on amounted to very little. I, I Yeah, I, I didn't feel qualified enough to put my finger on exactly what's not good about it, but it definitely feels like a rightfully lost entry in the Men in Black series. Yeah. I, I would skip this one if you're getting into Men in Black for the first time. One in three are probably all you need to watch. And do you yeah, remember? You don't get anything out of this if you're, you know, this isn't going to help set up three for you or something. No, yeah. no, this is no, utterly it, skippable. It, it's just, yeah, it's just pointless. And do you oh, remember how much it. hay was made about the rumored cameo from Michael Jackson? Being in this, it was like headlines week after week because this dude at this point was like pretty reclusive. But I'm gonna guess he liked Men in Black. I don't know that Barry Sonnenfeld. I don't think he directed any Michael Jackson's videos. But I just remember finally seeing it. Like you were really hinting he was gonna be an alien. I really wanted him to be an alien. <laughs> that that, that would have been the better joke. Mm-hmm. Um, they they have him wanting to be an agent. You could call me Agent M. Yeah. And it's just like eh. it's it's not a fun cameo, and regardless no. of what you think of Michael Jackson now, it's just like allowing a celebrity to play in your movie for a second in a joke that's not funny. So I, I that was what like people were talking about walking the theater, and that that alone is a huge disappointment. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't really put my finger on it; it just wasn't gelling with me, and I could barely pay attention to it. I was oh, also there's a tacked-on love story that goes nowhere, and I didn't feel the yeah. single spark of chemistry. Yes. And how, there's probably like a really cool way to address having a significant other and working in that business. That's not done here. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's... They could have done a lot of interesting things and they decided to do no interesting things. Yeah. I can't think of a single interesting thing in this movie. Yeah. Like even the like twist ending at the end is an exact copy of the twist ending at one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, I think it's I just, is it the biggest role for Laura Flynn Boyle like in a giant tentpole Fourth of July movie? I, do, I can't yeah. think of a bigger movie she was in. Um, yeah. I can't. I am a huge Jackass fan, and I'm just like, is Johnny Knoxville good in movies where he's not being <laughs> kicked in the nuts by a bull? I don't know. It's definitely not as good as What's His Nuts from Flight of the Concords and Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, yeah. Men in Black Two surprising a surprise a surprising failure and kind of killed the momentum on this franchise for a long long time yeah, yeah. just what what are we doing here why why are we doing this we're just gonna do the same thing yeah well i don't need to give you my money to see that i i got a DVD. Oh, come on don't, don't you want to see rip torn get in a kung fu fight where he's jumping around like baby oh my god Yoda? oh my god <laughs> well yes <laughs> I guess but a little bit not yeah. in this movie but it's shot from too life. far away yeah it, isn't it, there's a video out there hitting his director with a hammer on what's that movie i oh, forget what that movie is <laughs> look it up rip torn hammer it's really kind of frightening a real fight erupting in a movie set you just move on to television brief television foray it's so odd speaking of canceled comedians actually being canceled Politically Incorrect is canceled on ABC. And I struggle so much with Bill Maher. He's like an uncle. I'm like, can you just shut up, dude? I used to like you so much. You were so smarmy and obnoxious. And I hate everything you rage against. I've heard the word Latinx more from you than any other publication in the planet. Stop complaining. (laughs) Cancel culture. You can't say anything anymore. Maybe he thinks that because he is actually one of the few people who lost his job because of something he said. And he would, and I believe he was correct in what he said. (laughs) Everyone, the kind of the, what would you call it? Lip service 
to the terrorists of 9-11. They're awful and they're cowards. And he just, what did he say? Is like, you can call them monsters, uh, but like... It, we have been the cowards lobbing lob- cruise missiles yeah. from 2,000 miles away. That's cowardly. Staying in the airplane when it hits the building. Say what, say you, what want you want about it. It's not cowardly. And the whole world attacked ABC... Mm-hmm. lobby to get this canceled and despite decent ratings it is pulled off the air people probably don't even remember him getting that show on hbo which has been like totally overshadowed politically incorrect was kind of a celebration of free speech of hbo taking this person who was thrown off the air for saying something controversial but true and giving him his own uncensored platform and then now we have bill maher now complaining about twitter and fucking pronouns and just good lord good lord (laughs) yeah but just some context the original politically incorrect started on comedy central Mm -hmm. from 93 to 97 then it moved to abc from 1997 to 2002 and And in case i forget i don't know of that happening very often yeah i don't know of cable shows moving to a network i think in mind this is late 90s early 2000s i think that's how much more money networks had at the time they can take the hit show of a tiny cable channel like we will throw money at you until you give this to us and yeah. <laughs> and they, they had holes in their their late night schedule they did abc so, before jimmy kimmel was yeah. putting a news show up against talk shows which in 2000 well let's say the mid 90s they were getting their ass kicked by comedy and needed a comedy entry and why not buy an established product and put that on the air i'm just it's a perfect ballast we, mm-hmm. we still have some news they're talking about the things of the day mm-hmm. but it's also arguably comedy speaking of inelegance i did want to bring this up because these are one of the things i love crowdsourcing to where like our the laser time facebook group in particular is really great at picking up where like it's difficult for us to understand <laughs> some phenomenons even with all the googling and cartoon network canceling sailor moon is one of those things Cartoon Network cancels Sailor Moon, a show, to my knowledge, has ended its production in Japan for years. But America, in a smaller world, we didn't get day-and-date anime Yeah, When I was teaching in Japan in 2002, Mm -hmm. they asked me what TV shows I watched. And I said, "Uh, well, I did watch Sailor Moon. And they were, like, shocked that I was watching that old of a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. America was getting it super late. So fans of Sailor, the, and the ratings were substantial, and it really had more to do with the difficulty of negotiating Japanese rights, more so than the ratings being bad. So you think about it, viewers of Sailor Moon are just cut off, cut off with no resolution, no DVDs. Maybe piracy is a thing for them that they can access, but just they just lose their favorite show for of, of years this week on Cartoon Network. And I just wondered if anybody had more information on that, because like it's all over the place. It's I don't know what story was being aired when they canceled it, if it went anywhere else, because it looked like it didn't, because it was just something the Americans couldn't negotiate with the Japanese, but just stripped away from you. Now you can see Sailor Moon all you want, but I just I wonder if anybody has the story of heartbreak surrounding Sailor Moon's disappearance, not necessarily cancellation. Just something that would never happen now, you know? Anyway, moving into video games of 2002. Oh, my God. From the grave. <laughs> from the grave. <laughs> Bruce Lee, Quest of the Dragon on Xbox. So Bruce Lee starred in only five films. Mm -hmm. And as far as I can tell, I think there have only been five video games starring Bruce Lee. And this I, is one of them. I'm shocked that there are five. I did not know yeah. that at all. Uh, so this is Oh, Dragons of Bruce Lee story? That, that was the game based on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's one of them. Right. Uh, but yeah, this is a video game about Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee plays a British secret agent called Bruce Lee. <laughs> it's Clever. a beat-on-up game. Some fights can take five minutes, which is the longest I've ever heard of in a beat-em-up game. You know, 
So yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's an odd duck. But it's hmm. you have a voice acting. You got an impersonation of Bruce Lee. Yeah. And here you get a little bit of that. Lance, I need your help. My father has been kidnapped. I must get across the bay. I don't want to look up the ethnicity of that voice actor. I'm sure. I looked it up. He's Asian. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, but you really need the visuals to go to that. It is semi-unpleasant just across the board. Just It's just that era of gaming. Uh, what do you call that? Unwashed polygons. Just dirty, yeah. dirty textures. Anyway, Warcraft 3 Reign of Chaos is also out this week. Yeah, yeah. Announced in 1999 as a real-time role-playing game. Wow. It ended up as a real-time strategy game, and it didn't reinvent the wheel with that. It's an evolution, not a revolution of the previous one, but this was huge. There's never been a hint of a sequel to it, though, mm -hmm. because soon after this, World of Warcraft, yo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's just going to swamp what Warcraft was. Yeah. Warcraft was not an MMO for a huge chunk of its existence. It mm -hmm. was it was this. I've never played um, WoW. I've only played Warcraft. Yeah. So uh, it, it introduces hero characters you can level up in. But yeah, yeah, for those who like their real-time strategy games, this is one of the classics. Man. And then another book in here, significant one, Coraline by Neil Gaiman. I always forget he's the writer of that, and I love that movie. The book is a lot creepier than the movie. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah. Yeah. Creepy. <laughs> the movie is super creepy, but in the book, she's suspicious from the very beginning. And the descriptions of the other mother are like she's off from the second she gets there. The book is definitely more about loneliness. I actually listened to this on book and tape uh, while trying to go to sleep. And I discovered that you should pretty much never listen to a super creepy book while you're trying to go to sleep. That's that's not a good combination. Don't don't do that. With that, taking us out, great pull by Diana because I forgot that existed. Men in Black is almost synonymous with the Will Smith song Men in Black, and I Pitbull may have done the song in three, but Will Smith tried again with two, and just like the movie, it failed to resonate. But th there is a Will Smith song to coincide with Men in Black too. Black suits come and nod your head. Totally yeah, uh, forgotten. This is good as uh, Ghostbusters 2 on our own. You know, that Such other song. Ghostbusters song? Such that a good song. I love that right song. Right up there with Ghostbusters. Uh, it's so good. Don't don't even trash that song. It's so great. This is totally forgotten. You can still, you still hear Men in Black on the radio. That's because uh, that's a banger. Yeah. That's a solid song. This is not. Well, They're sampling a better song, maybe? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe Yeah, you didn't steal a Stevie Wonder uh, <laughs> sample and didn't no, have the same I mean, success. Forget Me Nots is just a fucking great song. Yeah, yeah, but we're going to take you out with a little bit of Black Suits Come and Nod Your Head by Will Smith, but stay right there. we got one more segment to go. 2012, don't move. Black suit, the black shade, the black shoes, black tie with the black attitude, new style black Bands. I'm stunning, man. New hotness, pitch black, 600, man. Don't you understand what you thought I wouldn't come again? Leave you hanging without bringing you the fun again? Tangle in with the alien scum again? Mind your manners or the black suits running in. Nod your head. Let me see you nod your head like this. Let me see you like this.
Texas internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of July 1st through 7th, yeah, definitely got some good recommends. Let's start with for July 4th, something turning 60 years old, a movie that is really ahead of its time in a lot of ways and fits in with the July 4th holiday in that it's about the American system. I guess it's Advice and Consent from 1962, directed by Otto Preminger, starring Henry Fonda, Charles Lawton, Peter Lawford, Walter Pidgeon. There's a lot of Brits in there. I don't know what the hell's going on. It's about the nomination process to become Secretary of State and uh, a guy who commits perjury. And they have to, like, look into what he's on about. And it turns out there's some gay stuff going on. And for 1962... It treats that way more delicately than you would expect, considering that's uh, it was a crime. Then. It was just straight up a crime, and they wouldn't let people into the government if they found out they were gay because they could be blackmailed by Ruskies or whatever. Um, also, it has Betty White in it as like one of the only female senators, and I trust her with our government so much more. I trust her today, and she's dead. I'm, I'm not doing well this week. Anyway, continuing on, The Amazing Summer of 1982... 40 years ago this week, a lighter movie, barely, but definitely a family movie. The Secret of Nim comes out. The the directorial debut of Don Bluth coming in to try to go for Disney's crown. And for a while, he fucking does. Uh, Secret of Nim, based on the book Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, it's beautiful to look at. It's an interesting story, you know, about these, well, basically super rats who are like, hyper intelligent because they were experimented on and then them trying to like come together to save this family from being plowed out of their little home that they live in voices dom deloise john carradine Derek jacoby very tiny will wheaton i think voices one of the kids and it's yeah it's it's a beautiful but often very dark and spooky animated movie that if you haven't seen it since you were a wee youngin totally holds up as an adult too i i was pleasantly surprised watched this a couple years ago and was like yeah secret and him seriously holds up so yeah that's my recommend for the week more genre stuff i guess technically coming from 1982 and that's it for this week stay classic take her ass downtown in my bentley drop top show her all around later when you get back you can show her how we live Bet she take it all soon as she step foot in the crib Coming into 2012 with my favorite Valentine's Day candy, Be My Bitch by 50 Cent off of five Murder by Numbers. He's in love with love, guys. Yeah. Uh, won't you be our bitch? Patreon.com. Never mind. That was a terrible plug. <laughs> Welcome to 2012. Other new music for July 1st to the 7th include uh, Infamous by Abandon All Ships, Fortune by Chris Brown, Wild Ones by Flo Rida, Periphery 2, This Time It's Personal by Periphery, and yeah, Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen is still number one. Why not? How about a little news to let you know what's happening in 2012? The Shard, the tallest building in the UK, is opened uh, in London at... 1,016 feet, which I'm sure is how they measure it. Uh, it's the tallest building in Europe for about two and a half years. I thought the tallest yep. building was at Ferris Wheel. I haven't been in London. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, it's it's a pretty neat building. It's very, very tall. 
uh, it's way taller than everything around it, so it really, really stands out because yeah. it's uh, it's on the South Bank. It's not in the like the city, which is like the financial center where there's the taller buildings. It's just sort of off by itself, and it's like ninety five percent owned by Qatar. Mm. And it's very oddly shaped, which is common for London skyscrapers. You've got the gherkin, you've got the cheese grater. Basically, the problem is London is a medieval city with small plots of land that were kind of determined by the pathway cows take. Yeah. So it's kind of odd for skyscrapers. Yeah, I'm still the, the walkie talkie is still my favorite, a.k.a. the walkie scorchy because it's got uh, sort of a curve that's made of glass. And um, that turns into a death ray when the sun is just at a right spot. And it, it's melted stuff <laughs> off of cars on the ground. Oh, wow. Yeah, look up Walkie Scorchy. <laughs> walkie Scorchy. Okay. Walkie Scorchy. And then um, Anderson Cooper comes out this week. And Yay. I was, I was uh, I would say, a little happy by like, hey, no real controversy to this. It's just sort of something he felt like he had to do. And I think that's... People having to publicly come out is something, you know, JR's kids hopefully will, it won't even be a news story anymore. It won't fucking matter in the slightest. No, I don't, I don't think it'll make the news when they're around. But yeah, at the time, he was the most prominent openly gay journalist on American yeah. television. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like people, it was an open secret. Yeah. Like there was, uh, I think a couple of years before, there was a point where he was arguing with someone about gay rights and he was, he's used we to talk about the gay community. Mm. Because he was very animated while he was talking, and he wasn't saying like they just want rights. He was saying we just want rights. And yeah. I was like, oh, did he just come out to us? Let's not make a thing out of that mm -hmm. because maybe he doesn't want to be out right now. Right, and people yeah. and uh... his mom is Gloria Vanderbilt. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> How could yes, she not have a gay son? He's out. He's got a husband. He's got some kids. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Good uh, Good for Anderson Cooper. I didn't mean to say it wasn't good for him, all that stuff. It's just it's kind of silly we live in a world where he had anybody has to do that. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. I, there's some point where it's just like. Yeah. I'm going to assume if you're alive, you should come out as asexual. That's the kind of thing that would shock me. I assume you're mm -hmm. fucking somebody because you have money in a television show. But if you're just not interested, that's shocking. And the asexual yeah. community needs you and your support right now. Now I am really curious, who is the most famous asexual person? Hmm. Well, mm. in this conversation, me, but it's not on purpose. <laughs> and And... No, I, I, I couldn't no, tell you. No, you're not asexual. Yeah, just lack that of sexual. Make, no, so you're an incel right now. No, I didn't say that either. <laughs> didn't say that either. I, I was thinking that. I didn't say it, Diana, yeah, but I was it. thinking that. You're involuntarily celibate. Stop it. Makes you an incel. <laughs> Assholes. Um, <laughs> Literally the definition, Chris. Uh, Ain't our fault. Movies of 2012. <laughs> Let's get off me for a second. July 1st through the 7th. Two days in New York with Julie Delphi, Chris Rock, Albert Delphi. Uh, Alexia Landau and Alex Nahoon. I, yeah, I don't know anything about this movie. So this is a sequel to Two Days in Paris, mm -hmm. uh, also directed by Julie Delpy. So it, it's a franchise now, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, it's there. Uh, again, I'm sorry. I didn't. Uh, there were a bunch of movies I didn't right. watch. And it's hard this week. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. And I try to cover some of these indie stuff, you know, because sometimes they turn out to be hidden gems. And this one, a lot of anticipating a movie we're going to talk about in a minute, a lot of comparisons to like the kind of thing Woody Allen used to do of just mm. sort of like, it's, it's, you know, a light movie about relationships and uh, a bit of culture clash between, you know, friend, French folks and American folks. And 
people working out their problems and yeah, you know it's I, like, I it's done well she I, I, like, just really dopey working off her before it sounds like one of the before movies yeah kind of yeah she's just kind of off making a, a whole separate franchise yeah. that's like i'm not gonna uh, wait for richard link later he took him eight years to make his last movie yeah. uh, <laughs> and and then we have uh also didn't see but you won't be mad at us Katy perry part of me 3d it's a concert film partial yeah, documentary I did watch this. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Because this is peak Katy Perry. Yeah. True she enough. will never be as popular as she is at this moment. She is about ready to have a series of albums that are going to lead to her having a show in Vegas for probably the rest of her life. It is a very, very bland movie, though. Mm -hmm. It is brand management and marketing the movie. There's a scene in here where Katy Perry is saying, oh, I had pizza for breakfast, Chick-fil-A for lunch, and Taco Bell for dinner. And you're looking at her and you're going, did you really? Yeah. That, that's not the body of someone who has pizza for breakfast, <laughs> Chick-fil-A for lunch, and Taco Bell for dinner. And I, then six hours of working out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In between uh, that, I did a thousand crunches. The one real kind of moment in this film is she was married to Russell Brand, and while they're making this documentary, that marriage is ending. Mm. So there's one or two shots where you're like, are you acting to the camera or do you just hate the fact that the camera is on you at this moment? Mm. Um, if it's not as interesting as our Super Bowl halftime show, no left shark, no watching. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I, did, I did see it's the um, it is the second highest grossing concert movie from a female performer ever unadjusted. Wow. I mean, Katy Perry was huge. Yeah. She had five singles. Off of one album, the only female singer to ever do that, and the only male singer to ever do that was Michael Jackson. Mm. Wow. And yeah, I, I, I don't did, think I that's did, well, I did wanna, ever going to happen again. Can, I don't think there's the music industry can allow that to happen. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know how you, singles work anymore. Isn't yeah. everything I, a single? Honestly, like, I, I don't know. Like the, I appreciate she's one of those performers that knows how to do spectacle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, that halftime show, it's, it, it, it's spectacle baby and if it was going to be that for like an hour and a half where you're basically getting a, a, an amazing short film that's on stage of each song yeah, yeah. okay yeah can, well, can any of you guess who the highest grossing concert female concert film madonna uh, it, sex no Truth or dare? i want to say female performer but technically it's two performers does that help you out at all two performers technically two performers only technically two performers if i no nope. this is not gonna your, your age group <laughs> Why am I, my brain has stopped it stopped at salt and pepper that, would, that would be hannah montana <laughs> and miley cyrus the best of both oh. worlds <laughs> but it, 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 it yeah. is look, looking at these concert films and i started looking at this because of something we're gonna do on that laser time episode about the movies of 1982 because that has one of the highest grossing concert films of all time and i think adjusted for inflation it's either that or eddie murphy raw but around this time they were let's say forcing 3d on movie theaters yes. and kind yeah. of the easiest thing you could pull off with really good 3d is a cheapo concert movie so what if it's yeah. number six on the box office list if it only costs 10 million dollars and half of justin bieber's fans show up he's the highest grossing mm -hmm. we're fine it's all gravy so one wow. direction and uh yeah there's just a bunch of jonas brothers it's a bunch of 3d concert films floating around around this mm -hmm. time yeah, so if you're a Katy Perry fan and you never watched this, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe give it a shot. But, you know, Katy Perry's a firework. Fireworks <laughs> don't last long. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, and then uh, we have Tyrone with Love with Alec Baldwin, Roberto Benigni, Penelope Cruz, Jesse Eisenberg, Greta Gerwig, and Elliot Page. And it's a Woody Allen film, <laughs> and both Greta Gerwig and Elliot Page have said, I should have done that. Uh, meanwhile, I think as uh, we're recording this, Woody Allen is on like an Alec Baldwin's podcast in one of his like once a decade public appearances, so they're still oh down. Huh. <laughs> uh, okay. So this is the second Woody Allen film I've ever watched. Oh, God. Okay. Why are you doing this to yourself? And yeah, uh, because it's the show, I'm watching them for the show. Oh, um, well, you're leaning is... into those pitch and taking them right on the chin, then, man. <laughs> uh, the worst part of both Woody Allen films has been Woody Allen. That nervous um, fellow. He, he, he is <laughs> not good in this. His so it's four separate storylines which are not connected at all. I thought mm. at the end they'd all tie in, but no, they don't. They're utterly disjointed. His storyline is so stupid. Okay, he is fucking a younger woman? opera oh, okay. manager. He manages operas, and he finds someone who can only sing good while in the shower. That is a fucking so, Flintstones. Yes, that yes, is a Flintstones plot. Yep, yep. You yep. remember that too? And when Bam Bam, this, I do. It's it's not even the real Flintstones. It's the adult kid version of the Flintstones, yep. where Bam Bam has to sing in the shower to sing well. What it's the both, actually, because in the original Flintstones, Barney can only sing in the shower, so Fred arranges wow. for a shower to be on stage so he can sing on stage, and Woody Allen does that in this film. Did we? And it is like, oh my God, in the 1960s cartoons for children, that was the most hack, <laughs> stupid, <laughs> dumb thing. And what, do you think you're a genius for putting this on the cinema screen? Because it's a giant opera. Okay, he's not sparing an expense. This is a real opera with a real shower on it and a man singing. And it, it, was he expecting the audience to go, oh, Woody, oh, you've done it again, you <laughs> bastard. You um, celebrated a thing only rich postgraduate degree New Yorkers will possibly care about. And good luck but, banging that younger girl. Oh, oh, I counted. Yeah. Four times in this film, a super hot young girl gets intimate with a much, much older man. In a Woody Allen film? Are you crazy? I know. That's yeah, this I is know. why Diane and I don't watch these anymore because yeah. I I can form an opinion on a Woody Allen movie without having seen it because I've seen enough enough. Yeah. I think mm. we're this is the last one or we're close to the last one where he appears. Mm. So we're uh, we're finally done with that. Okay, we there's still always there's still some sort of Woody Allen surrogate. So we've talked though about how Adam Sandler films movies in Hawaii because yeah. he wants to vacation there. I am like ninety percent sure Woody Allen was like, hey. I want a free trip to Rome, and I, I want to spend studio money so I can be at the Rome Plaza all to myself with my film crew around. Because there are some gorgeous shots of Rome in this film. Like, but three out of the four plots are just bad. But the fourth one was actually good. So there's this really nice scene where uh, Alec Baldwin is encountering a man who reminds him of his own youth. And then as that plot progresses, we come to realize, oh, wait, these are the same characters, and he's just remembering his youth, giving his younger self advice, which his younger self doesn't follow along with. And there is such a wonderful sense to this, because I actually uh, studied at Havana University in Cuba. Oh, and love yeah. learning things about GR. Every yeah. And when I went back there, 18 years later with my wife, there was just such a sense of, oh my gosh, I'm going back to my youth. I'm 
walking around these places I haven't been to in 18 years, remembering all the things I did when I was young, single, uh, in college. And Alec Baldwin is experiencing that. And there's such an element to truth to his scenes that I just shake my head at the other three subplots, which are just dumb and stupid and literally copying a Hanna-Barbera plot. That, that's like, I do want to thank you for jumping on the grenade of praising Woody Allen, JR. That's, that's very bold of you. <laughs> Glad you're taking a social media hiatus. Yeah. But, but when the show's over and dead, and if it's talked about, I really want a highlight being Chris and JR tripping over one another to accuse Woody Allen of plagiarizing the Flintstones. Yes. I, I want that to be a highlight of the entire show's existence. It's, it makes me very happy. We, how did we both know that? Uh, <laughs> misspent youth. Yes. Cartoon <laughs> Express yep. and uh, dad liking Woody Allen. Uh, next, a movie like, dude, I forgot this existed. And I'm usually pretty oh, good on Oliver Stone works. Damien Bichir, Emil Hirsch, uh, Salma Hayek, Benicio Del Toro, John Travolta, Aaron Johnson, Blake Lively, and Taylor Hitch in Savages. Savages. Oh, good Lord. So, uh, I mean, it's an adaptation of the Don Winslow novel mm. about these, you know, low-level drug dealers who then, you know, get too deep in with this evil cartel is coming to take over their stuff and they're going to, you know, kidnap their girlfriend and, oh, scary things happen. And, oh, it turns out the cartels are super villains of super villainish ways. And it's like, it's, uh, it's so fucking frustrating because, like, there's good stuff in here because Oliver Stone is a good filmmaker when he can get out of his own fucking way. Mm. Kind of like Woody Allen that way. And he cannot get out of his fucking way here. And so this just felt like a damn mess to me. I know some critics, it really split critics. And some mm -hmm. people some people really liked it. And they thought like, this is, you know, like the best parts of Breaking Bad in a movie. Mm. And a lot of people are like, what the crap is happening here? It is so convoluted and and just sloppy and messy and weird and it's just it's just bad. It's just bad. Diana Savage is savage. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is like one of the most ultimate. Your mileage may vary. And like it's it's the kind of Oliver Stone I do not care for. Mm. Where he's 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 laying it on thick. And every now and then there's something that's like, oh, that's pretty cool. Or that was interesting. Can I watch that movie instead? I like. Yeah, I, no, I enjoy I just, the heavier-handed Oliver Stone. I really it, do. It didn't work for me, but you know, like I said, some some folks they thought it was fucking great. So savage, baby, and uh, and yeah, let's just get to the yeah, because I this is the movie I was seeing despite myself. God, this is hard to talk about. Irfan Khan, am I saying that right? Uh, Dennis Leary, Chris uh, Zil Zil Zilka, Reese Ifans, Campbell Scott, Sally Field, Martin Sheen, Max Charles, Emma Stone, and Andrew. Hates Monday's Garfield. Number one at the box office this week. It is The Amazing Spider-Man. You think what happened to you was an accident? Peter, someday you'll understand. Do you have any idea what you really are? The Amazing Spider-Man. You found my weakness. It's small knives. Oh, it's so simple. God damn it. Yeah, so we missed the very first Honest trailer, but the first Honest trailer I ever saw was mm -hmm. for this film, <laughs> and I'll never forget its opening lines. Peter Parker was just an attractive, intelligent, likable, athletic, well-dressed teenage loser. It's hard not to talk about that, especially with the recent Spider-Man out. But I really did like Garfield in this. I really didn't like Tobey Maguire as the Wiener Spider-Man. 
and I thought Garfield was much better at the quippier Spider-Man. And I like this suit better. So This is the best spider suit of all time. Mm. Ooh. It's pretty good. Yep. And it, does, it doesn't play down the blues like the other ones did because uh, they usually substitute like really dark blue or black. But I, I did have a problem with Garfield's Peter Parker. Yeah. He, I, I mean, for one thing, Garfield looks like he's 28. Yeah. Maybe because he's 28 when he's filming this. And, and his hair makes him look like six foot six, like yeah. <laughs> a super tall Spider-Man. It's Tom Holland's a good looking kid, but short. So... Yeah, it works. But like Garfield, works. Yeah, Garfield is his portrayal of Peter Parker is just a little too non-nerdy. You know, to mm. me, Spider-Man is the nerd fantasy. It's like I'm unpopular, but I'm going to get this special power mm -hmm. that's going to allow me to live a life very different from my current life. Heighten and my attributes, and yeah. And all the things that are, I, again, Spider-Man was always a story about me for representation. I didn't know why I gravitated towards until years later. I'm like, oh, duh. It's the only superhero I'm reading about who's my fucking age. He's not yeah. married like every everyone else in the Marvel Universe at that time. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I always loved Spider-Man. And I feel like he would have been a good Spider-Man where like Spider-Man kind of is now in the comics. He's out of high school. Well they could have started him off as not a teenager. Mm -hmm. They didn't. Here's the big problem. This came so soon off of Spider-Man 3, the world wasn't ready for a reboot. Well, I that's that's my big problem here if we want to get into that because it's it's behind the scenes things. Yeah. I watching No Way Home and seeing Garfield somewhat redempted because it's like not his fault why those two movies don't work, but this is one of those no, examples. He's a good actor. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to fault him. He, there are good actor. actors in this film. Everyone does a solid performances. There are good lines in this film. Yeah. This has better good dialogue score. than the Raimi trilogy. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It, but that's a good point. It's only been five years. It's it's yeah. because this movie had a release date before it had a script, a cast, and a director. Because <laughs> I believe what was on the table here, if Sony doesn't utilize... It's Marvel properties every five years, I think. Marvel has the right to take them back. So they have yep. to keep making Spider-Man movies. Through the, and the, I think the really offensive thing here is, like JR said, this would be great Spider-Man like graduating from college, yeah. telling one yeah. of those stories. But instead, they retell us the origin that the entire and, populace and, knows. And, we and already not, know this. It's not different enough to nope. make it a whole like different universe i guess there's some you know stuff about like oh what were his parents up to are they really dead uh, no that that is another mistake inserting Massive. i can't speak to two because i haven't seen it i don't know if they continue the, yes the, the storyline there but in one the whole parent subplot goes nowhere in one yes no, it, it is not developed it is not interesting it is not engaging it is utterly superfluous Even, to this film as a film and as as comic fans and i can't speak as with a lot of authority on this they're hearkening back to a storyline where that has kind of been retconned where spider-man's parents are somehow responsible for dna research that creates See, him no, and no. it like mm. and and so comic fans are like do are you kidding? Why on earth would you tell this story? Like the com yeah. the comics have been like ignoring this for years, and you're going to make a big 
big cinematic production out of it and a cliffhanger. (laughs) Spider-Man should not be the chosen hero of destiny. Yes. He should be some rando kid who had something weird happen to him because the fantasy is that it could happen to you or someone like you. It's not like, oh, he's he's the son of super spies. Dude, Miles says it. You can wear the mask. Anybody can. Mm -hmm. It's. Oh, it is super yeah. frustrating. And, 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 and again, like the, the, the MC- credited screenwriters are, are all solid guys. We yeah. got like a guy who wrote Zodiac, Stephen Cloves, who's the guy who did all the Harry Potter adaptations and Alvin Sargent, who is a practically a legend. But in, in this regard, he wrote Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. But he's he's an old timer from way back. And I, they're the credited screenwriters. And I know they did not work together. So they all did major impacts on the script. I really don't understand why. Why an origin story? You could you could it just no pick sense. it up anywhere. The audience was not would not be confused. And, and we we said that then and we have proof now. Every Hol- Spider-Man is introduced in the middle of a goddamn Captain America movie. Everybody yeah. gets it. We know exactly yeah. who he is and what he does. The whole preschoolers know this. <laughs> grandparents know this there was no re and so i was trying to rewatch this it's just like it is it is it, is, it feels more modern than raimi spider-man but it's agonizingly slow compared to any of the new ones mm. just where, where holland just picks up and goes we're, we've established all this yeah. hit the ground yeah. running it's not a horrible film i do want to say that again it is yeah. just a story that shouldn't have been told because the story had already been told and and did not need to be told but we've got good actors andrew garfield and elma stone have the best chemistry of any romantic coupling in any spider-man movie probably because they were fucking you know i feel like that's cheating a bit (laughs) Um, but on the screen it works that seems to be the pattern of yeah that that's how it goes down i mean it's the same with uh in the the first Raimi Spider-Man to, in uh, 2002 we talked about it's like but you can't see as much chemistry there even though yeah they were fucking but yeah i really a lot of people complained about like they made Peter Parker too cool and i feel mm-hmm. like i'm the only am i the only person who sees Andrew Garfield and just sees Anthony Perkins oh goodness i think Ooh, that's so. a good one i don't see okay. that i just watched psycho 2 that works very well he he has that same like nervous energy yeah. that, that he brings to a lot of the Peter Parker stuff. That's like he's not nerdy or awkward enough apparently for the character. But like I'm seeing it, and everyone else is like, he's got a skateboard. He's too cool. And I'm like, dude, that guy looks like he's about to snap yeah. all the time. Yeah, and that's something one of the things I really like about him. Something behind the eyes there that he's not telling everybody. Yeah, uh, he's he's just wrapped up a little tight. And it, it might snap. Again, not to bore anybody behind the scenes, because we ha- actually have thousands of podcasts on the network about this movie and the making of it. But it's a contractually obligated film. It didn't need to happen like this. It just had to happen. So Marvel couldn't get it. And we just saw the Avengers. And it, I'm not really sure how Marvel and Sony ended up burying the hatchet or temporarily trading it back and forth. But you're rebooting Spider-Man instead of letting him play with his real friends and then taking this awful concept is the parents thing to try and shoehorn an in an Avengers inside of Spider-Man to hint at yeah. the sinister six. And it's, it's, excru- I think it's excruciating and I didn't watch all of it, but I still couldn't separate myself from the anger 
of this existing alongside Avengers, denying Spider-Man his rightful place in the MCU. I have rarely I, been... I'm honestly shocked. Different. All I want is something different. Yeah. I yes. don't want the same. We just talked no, no, about... That's what I think. That's what I think. Something new. That's why I wanted to watch it again. I wanted to see what held up and what didn't now that my anger from that is subsided. But my anger from that was substantial and so was the rest of the internet's. They didn't want to see Spider-Man again like this. They wanted to see him play with his friends. Anyway, sorry. In this movie's defense, I'm just going to throw out the stuff I liked. Mm -hmm. I think the first person shots Mm -hmm. do a fantastic job of putting the audience into what it feels like to be Mm Spider-Man. You know, more so than the Raimi film. Yeah, Yeah. because the Raimi films, it still feels like a cartoon whenever his mask is gone and he's flying through the sky. It just, it doesn't connect at all. And and the Marvel, the, the MCU movies, you'll notice, Take his mask off a lot to remind you there's a person yeah. here because this might look like. And anyway, I oh, yeah, I don't even no, want to talk I, about. I this feel bad because it's like yeah, it's it's a fine movie. If we hadn't already had three Spider-Man yeah. movies, I'd be pretty happy about it. And if you were dying to see Dennis Leary in the Marvel universe, this one's for you. And I was. <laughs> I'm Gwen Stacy's dad. Okay. <laughs> still, I still don't like it, but I still think it's a little more redeemable than the second film. Didn't dig it, but there's things to like. It's just. Now, it's like not, Men in Black 2, totally non-essential. I don't know. I think... Not, yeah, the yeah, only thing for like, this movie and its sequel is for Spider-Man... No Way Home. No Way Home. It, his arc, Garfield's Spider-Man arc is com- literally... Com- well, not totally completed, but it's it has a resolution in No Way Home. Yeah. It's one of the things that makes that movie beautiful. I oh, love it so much. Let's talk about that movie. Let's move on okay. to, to television. <laughs> 2012, the final, the final, final witness on H, on ABC or final witness on ABC? Uh, the start of final witness on ABC. Start of final witness on ABC. Final witness. That's me lying there. What if the dead could speak? Now yeah. they can. Oh, I finally came to rest in peace. Experience true crime in a whole new way. Riveting scripted dramas. Powerful interviews with the real people involved. It was the crime of the century. All told to you by the ultimate eyewitness, the victim. That's me down there. When I was alive, I was loved. ABC's Final Witness. What on earth? I seem so little bit trashy and i am a true crime fan yeah yeah i'm it's super trashy. not on it's, board it's, with it's, it's, let's these... let's let real people who were really murdered will write a script for them and pretend yeah, that they're narrating it's it sounds like it's trying to put a narrative around hbo's autopsy the hmm. dead speak from the grave yeah you know no. it's it's pretty bad i uh <laughs> i do not recommend it uh... wow Yep, seven whole episodes. Good. Yeah, good. They learned their lesson. And that's the only notable thing for television. Oh, wait, no. There's also. We have (laughs) Macy's 4th of July Fireworks Spectacular 2012. We have two different spectaculars in two different decades. Yes. The Disney Spectacular had people talking. It had famous performers at the times. It had cartoons about the 4th of July. This is literally just fireworks. Wow. Okay. When have you ever been, what I really want to do is watch fireworks on my TV with commercial breaks? I mean, no, well, maybe Fantavision on PS2, but that, that is about it. I don't get who the audience for this is. I really don't. I, I do not understand watching fireworks on a TV. It, it The coolness is that it's happening above you. Yeah. If you're just seeing it on a screen, I don't get any coolness from that. 
I mean, the only thing I could, and I, I'd probably explain this on a billion other podcasts, being a huge fan of Christmas specials. For me, Christmas specials are hyper special and important, and I love them and their seasonal nature. But the whole nature of that, and usually what's shown at Christmas and holidays, or like Fourth of July, days where not a lot of people are watching television, are, are designed to give the crew who run stations and television shows a way to go home. So they will put something completely boring on the network that would normally tank any other programming uh, mm-hmm. just to give everybody a rest because who cares? No one's going to be watching TV today. I just don't know how that's still the case. I don't, I'm probably not going to do anything for 4th of July uh, this year. Didn't do it last two years. It was a major TV holiday for me. God, I can't wait for the pandemic years of 30, 2010. Those like, are going to be like, odd. Like you'll need help remembering where you were for two of those years. <laughs> <laughs> Remember July. that time you moved from the living room to the couch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that's about it. The, as notable of what's on television, I, I did sort of want to harken on Men in Black and Spider Man. Those two two franchises sort of owned the Fourth uh, of July release date, which I think only recently mm-hmm. has become like not as important. But that used to be the date tentpole movies fought over, and it would revolve who would have the highest opening of the summer. It would be the Fourth of July movie, and it did revolve between Men in Black and Spider Man, and does so again. And in Black 2, it makes a ton of money regardless of how you feel about it and unseats Spider-Man's record. And then Spider-Man will come back and unseat Men in Black's records. And I and I, I was just trying to think. And I know I could have looked it up. Like, what's coming out July 4th this year? And I just couldn't. Like, what's the huge movie coming out? And I'm like, I'm not sure that there is one. Hmm. Spider-Man came out at Christmas. Doctor Strange came out in May. Avengers came out in April. Like, the, the July 4th date doesn't seem to be something people, studios actively pursue anymore. Sorry, not interesting, but just it, it did used to be like a film holiday. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's mm-hmm. usually a long weekend. Mm-hmm. So and we, we are still yeah. dealing with COVID aftermath. True. You know, all the movies we're watching right now are movies that had to be made uh, under quarantine conditions, mm-hmm. more or less. So there's, I feel like, wait for like 2024 or 2025 before you say the July 4th weekend is dead. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I, I might not be... Yeah, it's just been three years without it, so it feels like it's dead. I could be yeah. completely wrong. You, you know what the, the probably July 4th release I can see is? What? Minions. Well, there you go. I mean, that's going to be big. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that'll big. make a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, okay, okay, I, I, why did I throw in this kind of distraction in a show that's already long? Games of 2012, or game, one of my favorites. Ooh. Just because I, I was commuting two hours a day, and I just, I love this. Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy. I have nowhere close to played all the Final Fantasy games, but I like video game music, and this uses the 3DS touchscreen to gamify playing songs. Like, a, you know, not we have all know Rock Band and Guitar Hero. You've seen it done before, but like, yeah, you unlock a bunch of dope songs from a billion Final Fantasy games and little avatars. It's cute. It's great music. I played, I played like 100 hours of this. Uh, so I'd never heard of this, and I'm feeling so stupid right now Why? that it's pronounced theater rhythm Final mm-hmm. Fantasy because I just saw the word Final Fantasy, and I was like, what the hell is this fantasy word? The <laughs> atrahymthem? It's What's the atrahymthem? <laughs> we, we've always theorized it's Square Enix really wanting to make people scan all over a GameStop to find the right Final Fantasy game because it's never in the F section. The duodecim Final Fantasy, like, oh, that's... Th- you want a Final Fantasy game? That'd be in T. Go. <laughs> Theater rhythm. It's just trying to create a new franchise, and I think they made one more, but uh, I really dug it. If you like, it can't really go on any other system other than iPhone. 
you know, given that it's a uh, tap based and they don't want to sell a mm. peripheral. So I don't know how it's how what its longevity will be, but I thought it was one of the more fun rhythm games with some of the most timeless music in uh, the medium of video games. Uh, and yes, you have reached the end of thirty twenty ten, but we have we're going to tell you who died and who uh, do a quiz and who lived during this period. But uh, let us rattle off some plugs like patreon.com slash laser time. I got a dope thing about the thing. Dope thing about the thing. I hate the, <laughs> Sometimes I hate that title. E.T. Bonus shows out the wazoo all coming. I can't wait. Uh, hopefully we've been doing 80s in depth celebrating the summer of 82 and we'll have a laser time episode celebrating that as well. So if you love movies, it's a great time to be a listener and part of the Patreon, patreon.com slash laser time. Thank you for enjoying the show. Di, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at listeningerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Coming up next week, we got some weird, fun shit. We've got the grown-up Roger Rabbit. Oh, my God. Oh, my oh God. yeah. Ralph Bakshi's uh, last name. Uh, <laughs> but we have one of Jean-Claude Van Damme's best movies where he's up against Dolph Lundgren. And then we have a classy movie with Tom Hanks where he's on the road with his son and a not classy movie about dragons attacking Matthew McConaughey. Oh, great. I love this movie. Oh, shit. All right. I love this movie. All right. I'll put that at the top of the rewatch list. It is so dumb. I love it. Oh, it's my favorite hairstyle of his, too. JR, where can folks find you? I am taking a sabbatical from social media for the months of June and July. But when I return in August, you can find me on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S on the Twitter. And uh, with that out of the way, we're going to find out who died during this period. Who died? All right, let's start with in 1992, we lost gay rights pioneer Marsha P. Johnson, who is only 46. Who died under mysterious circumstances. She Ooh. was found floating in the river right after a pride parade. Um, she had a head wound oh. and she might have been murdered because she was very outspoken for gay rights and trans rights. The The story was that she kicked off the Stonewall riot by hitting a cop with her purse. But it turns out, no, she she showed up after it had kicked off. Then she started hitting <laughs> cops with her purse. All right. So she can keep her medals then. Yeah. Oh, no. She was she was a badass at a time when, yeah, trans women were weird transvestite perverts. She mm. was like, uh, no, I'm pretty and I'm going to kick your ass with my purse if you don't accept that. Yeah, there's a good documentary about her. And uh, in 2002, we lost baseball great Ted Williams, who was Did 84. We? Well, <laughs> the family got into a big old kerfuffle about uh, whether they should cryogenically freeze him. <laughs> and <laughs> there was a lot of accusations of fake signatures and maybe he signed a blank piece of paper and then they wrote in freeze my head but the rest of me is okay uh, i want to appear on future rama freeze my head <laughs> yes uh. yeah it is uh it was a, a, a weird end to a very long and storied career um <laughs> but, yeah the, uh. the idea of like okay that that's the fallback position. We won't freeze all of him. We'll just freeze his head. Like, assuming you can thaw out people, <laughs> what are you gonna do with the head? Uh, robot. Uh, I mean, I want a robot body. I've been pushing for that for years, and no one listens to me. Oh, but also in 2002, we lost director John Frankenheimer, 72. One of just yeah, film nerds is favorites. Yeah. Uh, but Manchurian Candidate, Ronin. Mm-hmm. That's kind of all you need. I mean, honestly, Black Sunday and Grand Prix and Seven Days in May, sure, whatever. But, dude, 
Ronin is seriously one of the best action movies ever made. And well, the first movie I saw of his was I don't know if we ever talked about it on the show was Against the Wall, the uh, Sam Jackson, Kyle MacLachlan Attica movie. And oh. I, I like I I was so young I didn't even know like that could anything I don't know what was happening in prisons and it just like made this huge impact on me and I watch it whenever I could it's usually on YouTube but it was an HBO movie at that time and I really liked it against the wall yeah yeah Manchurian Candidate in Seven Days of May mm-hmm. kick ass oh gosh in seconds that's a cool movie yeah it's a weird sci-fi movie and then in 2012 I remember hearing this news on the bus on my way to go mm-hmm. see Amazing Spider-Man that's when we lost Andy Griffith who was 86. <laughs> Let me be clear, we were not making fun of Andy Griffith. That's an arrested development quote. Just wow, just a by Ron Howard, his in his in-story son. Yeah. Amazing show. Yeah. It's it's really amazing. The Andy Griffith show is still referenced today. I don't get you it. You know, uh you can still he- hear people refer to someone as a Barney Fife yeah. type character. Yes. Yeah, Otis, Otis and drunks. you know, yeah. Mayberry is still yep. something people pine after even though it didn't actually exist. Or yeah. use as a derogatory term to refer to rural folks. Yeah. Go back to I Mayberry. That's true. Yeah. Andy Griffith show is totally worth watching though. I mean besides I, yeah. It it is a very pleasant it's a very pleasant comedy, kind of in the way like King of the Hill is a very pleasant comedy, where it's like it's funny, but it's also it's very good natured, it's cute, it's silly. Yeah, seeing tiny, tiny Ron Howard is always fun. I would and, recommend yeah, still would really Face like in the Crowd. Face in the Crowd is And then obviously you need to pivot to a face in the crowd. The, it's is, it's not only his best role because he's like a fucking maniac. It's just yeah. like it the more our political system swings the way it does, the more relevant this fucking 70-year-old movie becomes. And Andy Griffith yeah. is a Southern charmer who rises his way up to celebrity and somehow into politics and then reveals his true nature. It's just, it's yeah. a wonderful film. Outstanding film. Even if you've never seen Andy Griffith in anything, you'd be like, holy yeah. shit, who is this guy? And then you realize it's Matlock. Yeah. Oh my God, why didn't he do more stuff like this? He's fantastic. Yeah, one one of the best media satires ever made. Yeah. Face in the Crowd. Face in the Crowd. Thousand baby. percent recommend. Watch it with Ace in the Hole. Great film. JR, what's going on next? All right, so now it's time for the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo. A ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. I'm just going to accept I'm probably going to lose this week. My head not on straight. Stop it, Di. It's been a bad week, man. It's been a bad week. (laughs) Never know. (laughs) Turning 45, she is the only daughter. Dana Goodman. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're three weeks off. Um, <laughs> okay, so someone, someone who's three weeks younger than me. Yes. Turning 45, she is the only daughter of Bebe Buell, Miss Playboy Playmate of the Month, November 1974. Born with the last name of Rudgren. Oh, uh, yeah, Tyler. Yes. Damn. Yes. Damn. Yes. Yeah, she grew up thinking Todd Rundgren was her dad. It turns out it was a different wow. rock star. <laughs> Correct. Yes, at the yeah. age wow. of 10, she noticed that she had a very deep resemblance to one of her friends who was Steven Tyler's other daughter, wow. Mia. She asked her mother, and wow. the secret was revealed, and then she changed her name uh, from Rudgren to Tyler. 
and then to, to reconnect with his daughter, uh, he cast her in a music video where she takes her top off and the camera lingers on her ass. It's kind of creepy when you look at the crazy video. Accurate. Her breakout role was Stealing Beauty in 1996. I love uh, that movie. Movies of hers we've already covered. Armageddon, two films directed by Robert Altman. Uh, Cookie's Fortune and Dr. T and the Women. Then, of course, there's 2001's Lord of the Rings. Thank Fellowship you. I was dying for you to say Fellowship. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, that about wraps up the show, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Patreon.com slash LazerTime. If you want more video games, Video Game Apocalypse every Friday. New Laser Time this week. New stuff on bonus uh, on the bonus shows. We thank you so much. Let's close out with, what is this? Am I the Same Girl by Swing Out Sister? Yeah. Do I know it's this It's a song? jam. All right. It's, you do. This, you start playing it, it'd be like, oh, yeah. This one, this fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little kid in the '90s, so I'm, I, some of these ubiquitous songs I just don't have a name or a band to. But I, let's close out with that, and you can all have the revelation. I'll have off mic, and we'll see you next week. Why don't you start?